2: Hey there, fellow conductors of the Metaphysical Examination. Welcome to the CrossRip. We've got a fun one uh, coming up for you. We're going to be talking about the second half, well, it's actually more like the second two-thirds of Ghostbusters Daughter by Viola Ramis Steele. Uh, Yes, our book club has reconvened. Our friends from the Ontario Ghostbusters, Briley and Solange are back. Uh, We will be talking about uh, the entirety of the book. We have your voicemails and thoughts coming up here. It's going to be a fun discussion. Get ready. Here we go.
0: Still playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad
1: The biggest podcast since 1909
0: So great News,
2: interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters Are
1: you the key master?
2: Here are your hosts, Troy
1: Benjamin and Chris
3: Stewart You know, it's just occurred to me We really haven't had a completely successful test of this
2: equipment
1: Oh, we have fun Woo!
2: Dad's got a headache Let's just, uh, everybody be kind so where quiet. Are you from? originally <laughs> Shh. I mean it's it's very appropriate <laughs> the library
4: joke which uh-huh. one of us is playing the ghost in this because I you know Solange has got a good rarg. oh <laughs> all right I have yeah, seen her without enough. coffee my I've god I've had enough today I've had enough coffee today So holy now. crap oh, But
2: so we can We're we, not, can we not get the rarg here at the beginning of the show or no, I mean,
4: no. you know no. how intimidating an ostrich is when it gives you that one eyeball it looks down at you it kind of gives you the stink eye. It's like that. I'm large. Uh, <laughs> I'm predatory. And I will take you out in a moment's notice.
2: Uh, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crosser. <laughs> 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 in case you haven't noticed, uh, we are once again being joined by our Ontario friends here for a little bit of Cyclotron chat about Ghostbusters Daughter. This is the second half of our, our talk here. Uh, Hello. And, and and yes, we're we're gonna just we're gonna cut through all the pleasantries. You, the, the two of you are here and you're live on the air. We should just because there's so much to talk about about the second half. We might as well just like let's just do it. Forget. Do the we need to introduce ourselves again. Well, here's here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to so Solange. Did I say it right this time?
0: Yeah, you you it right. Enough? Ryan. It's just Ryan.
2: Okay, it's just Ryan. It's just. Who? <laughs> <laughs> So for those not in the know, uh, somebody took uh, Mr. Stewart and I to task for mispronouncing one of our lovely guests' names uh, on the last book club, and I went back and I re-listened to the episode, and I was like, I swear I said it right. I swear. I, I, because it's one of those things, yep. I have such social oh. anxieties that I was
4: sweating mispronouncing oh. your name. So oh, no. Lama Lama Ding Dong is Ugh. really understanding about people <laughs> pronouncing her name. And I'm usually not, but no, you're
0: good. I would have honestly, I'm one of those people that would have corrected you right off the bat. Well,
2: exactly, and I, I felt like when I saw when I saw the messaging going back and forth because I don't really check Facebook that often anymore. I'm sorry, Facebook people. I'm sorry. That's why I'm not purposely ignoring you. I'm just not. I'm not on Facebook. But uh, but I saw that back and forth, and I was like, I, I, I swear, and she didn't correct me. I, I felt like I felt like she would have said something. No, you're good. Anyway, so uh, so we're welcome good. back, Slonch, and uh, and Briley is back here as well. We're we're the whole crew is back together, as well as Mr. Hello. Chris Stewart, as always.
4: I'm wearing a coconut, but not on my head. <laughs> How dare you, sir? I still, I'm still
2: the that headless horseman thing. I'm hung up on that, but we won't talk about
4: that in this episode. Um, it's all right, the pumpkin was hung up on something too. It really was,
2: Mr. Thank Dan Shoning. I wish I was at San Diego Comic Con at this moment in time just to be like, dude, what gives with the Headless Horseman's Pumpkin? I, I, I just, anyway, listen to the last episode, I you'll should... know exactly what we're talking about. But uh, yes, welcome, <laughs> welcome one and all. Uh, we're going to just dive right into it because so what we decided to do um, in the interest of keeping the discussion lively and because there are so many things in the next section of the book that we wanted to talk about because there's Ghostbusters, there's a lot of personal things. Uh, there, of course, are some sad uh, things that we know are coming, uh, and, and uh, it is. I, I think somebody did say very appropriately there are no spoilers in this book, we do know where it's going to end. Um, so I, I thought it would be better just to sort of lump the remainder of the discussion together so that we're talking about happy things like Ghostbusters which we all know and love obviously as we're sitting here on a Ghostbusters podcast um, but then we can also talk about some of the heavier topics uh, as well so uh, hopefully the the yin and the yang of that will help uh, ease uh, our discussions and, uh, and 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 keep, Things fairly upbeat because uh, if if people were listening last week, they know that I finally did bring myself to read those last uh, whatever it is 30, 45 pages, and uh, I I had a pretty difficult t- uh, time with it, and uh, and and messaged a few people, hugged my daughter a little tightly uh, more after Aww. that because it was just oh man lump lump in my throat right now thinking about it because I just didn't have any idea. We know where things were going, but I, I honestly had no idea that it was going to be uh, the way that it was. So um, so we'll get into that discussion. We'll get into talking about um, all of the modern era Harold Ramis stuff, uh, which is a lot of fun too, because he really explored a lot of stuff that was very personal to him, which we'll be getting into. And uh, yeah, I think, guys, this is going to be just such a great discussion that I just want to dive into it. Let's forget the yeah. intros. Forget talking about. We'll talk about San, San Diego we'll Comic Con. We'll do it live. We'll talk about Comic Con next week because there is a lot of cool news. There's Ruby's costumes and things like that. But, but I want to focus this discussion solely upon Ghostbusters: Daughter, and we'll we'll talk about other Ghostbuster stuff next week. So, uh, if you is everybody ready? You, want, you just want to dive yeah. in? You want to talk about stuff? Let's do it. I'm good.
4: Yeah. Let's roll. All
2: right. So, um, let us begin with our first discussion topic, which is what moments struck us the most about the second. And I call it the second half of the book, even though it is pretty much like the second two thirds of the book. Um, what uh, what moments stood out to uh, each of us the most, and and what sort of resonated? Uh, Solange, maybe let's start with you.
0: Um, I think one one thing that struck me was I think it was just because I remember it so vividly was her her nine eleven story, mm. and it was I don't know it's not really a topic that tends to tends to I, not irk me, but tends to get a rise out of me because I was relatively young when it happened. But now, being older and knowing people who actually went through that, who were there, um, who uh, who experienced it on such a personal level, it was kind of like, oh, I, I kind of understand where she's coming from and her fear and, and and the everything that she felt and how she dealt with it. So it was it was one of those things I didn't think would catch me, but it did.
2: It was kind of a surprise, right? I, d- I didn't, as I was reading it, I didn't expect to hear her first person account of, of the 9-11, uh, attack. It it was one of those where I was like, oh, that would make sense. She was in New York at that time. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it I was not expecting it. It caught me by surprise too. Yeah, that's one of them
0: for sure.
4: Well, yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like the story everyone will have. If you were in New York at this time, I think everyone has one of these stories, yeah. It may not be as dramatic as some others, but everyone has it because it affected all of them. It doesn't matter if you were at Ground Zero or a burrow away. You still remember where you were.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Hell, I was in another country, and I remember where I was.
2: Yeah. Where where were you when Kennedy was shot? Uh, where were you on September 11th? It's, it's one of those dates that a lot of people enough, I
4: had air, airtight alibis for both. <laughs>
2: Oh, well, you're on the record, sir. So we will continue moving, but,
4: uh, we're off to a
0: great start here today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was, you know, she, again, because it's, it's very, we talked about it in our last book club because she, it's her point of view, obviously it's her perspective on things. And she does talk about, she moved to New York city and she was, was it, she was a teacher at that point in time. I'm trying to remember. She, yeah. I know she was going to, to school she for social work.
3: She was literally just starting, uh, like, her first day of class in a classroom. That's yeah. right.
2: That's right. It was her first day, <laughs> so she knew it was memorable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, hearing hearing that from her and then hearing kind of how she, uh, you know, uh, sort of tried to find ways to cope with it, which a lot of people uh, had to do at that point in time, too. Um, yeah, That that was... That was surprising. That was shocking. That was not what I expected in a a Harold Ramis-themed book to read. No. Yeah.
4: Well, I think it's also that the second half of this book really is her present memory. Like, this is the stuff she doesn't necessarily need to talk to her mother about. And, like, what was I like when I was three, right? Like, she has active memory of all of this. She can tell us from the first person, exactly how she felt at some of these moments, right?
1: Yeah, it becomes that's a think lot less thing, anecdotal, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, I think the tone actually noticeably shifts, ironically, right around Ghostbusters when she actually starts recounting a lot more, I distinctly remember a longer set of events versus I have a flash of memory about doing this.
3: Yeah. This half of the book has got a lot more uh, conversations with her dad that she recounts.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. The
3: first half is a lot of memories and little bits and pieces. But the, the second half is, you know, it's almost constant, her recalling conversations she had with him.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, bra- well, uh, I'm trying was to think it, if there there's anything, anything else. else, else? That, yeah, before, before we move the, on, was there anything else that really stood out to you?
0: The secret sister?
2: Yeah. Yes. Whoa, is it, is it? yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like well, maybe I, this is a good because that's not one of the discussion topics. Um. So maybe this is a good opportunity to kind of get into it. What What were your impressions of of that and how it was handled and and what? So was she aware as well that Harold was her father growing up or not? Not until she was no. older,
4: right? No. Not yeah, until no. she was older. I like. I think we we're led to believe almost right before they arrange a meeting and they have the the big. The whole family kind of goes to meet her, and then Harold goes in first, and the family's kind of waiting outside, saying, "Well, how is she going to react? Do we get a sister, or or is she going to say this is too much for yeah. me? Right?
0: Yeah, because she like the mom reached out to him and was like, she knows everything, and by this point, I think she was, oh god, I can't recall how old."
2: But, but prior to that violet knew right because she remembered going to the hospital and then she remembered reading in the diary
4: that in fact on page 145 yes. according oh, to here my sticky note <laughs> it, that is in fact the title, the chapter titled mystery baby
2: mystery baby yeah so and and the it confirmation came from the the diary right that that she yeah. had known and then she sort of played coy and tried to uh Get, get them to fess up to it. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, it's, it's very interesting how certain people react in, in that sort of instance. You would think that they would embrace her with open arms. And it's, it's funny having just watched, I think it was uh, Sundance just did a vacation marathon. And I had completely forgotten that the second vacation movie was directed by Amy Heckerling, which kind of put things in a totally different light when I was watching that movie. And I thought, Oh, Oh, interesting. I wonder, I mean, knowing, knowing that they were friends and colleagues, I wonder at what point this all occurred, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like, uh, Harold's family embraced her with open arms. Maybe her extended family, Molly's extended family was not quite as accepting about it.
4: So having seen the entire vacation series, presumably back to back, do you find that the Clark Griswold character is a little less positively in the second one, because in the first one, uh, Violet talks about Clark oh man, Griswold being... put a little
0: bit more rum in your (laughs)
4: teeth there, Bradley. Greaseball I have yet to begin to defile myself, thank you but how the Clark Griswold character is something of the idealized version of a dad that Harold Ramis had right do you find that the the polish is off in the second one like he's played a little bit more buffoonish he
2: is, is. that he's a little more deplorable amy's, in the
4: second movie yeah yeah is that amy's impu- influence or is that the natural oh, kind of flanders- oh, Flandersization of the character where hey everybody got a big laugh when he acted like an idiot so let's have him act like, like, like an idiot more
2: Oh, I mean, that, wow. that might, I mean, the timing would work out r- relatively closely to when this might've gone down. So yeah, maybe, maybe I, I mean, cause you, I, I, you're absolutely right. Like in European vacation, Clark Griswold is, uh, uh, not, not the best. He's, he's not the endearing dad. Well, as yeah, endearing I, as somebody the, who almost has an affair with Christy Brinkley in
4: the first movie could be, but like, um, you well, know, yeah, he, cause the first one's all framed as he wants to give the great American vacation to his family. He wants to be the dad that he always thought his dad was right.
1: Yeah, And the
4: European vacation always seemed like he's out to get a free thing. He's out for his own sake.
1: Yeah, he He's wants there, to take the video buttons. of
2: his wife, uh, and and who cares what happens to that tape? Um, mm. uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Well, and there is an anecdote in the actual book, too, isn't there, where Harold says something to Violet? Like, do you remember... Um, yes, and do you tra-
4: remember Kirsten, uh, Kirstie Alley from look who's talking and the guy who knocks her up and does, he doesn't want to leave his wife for her, that's me. That's
2: me. Yeah, exactly. So, so Amy Heckerling, she, she definitely did put the things that she knows into the movies that she created. Um, boy, that's interesting. Yeah, I would, I would, I would wager that might be true. <laughs> that's that that soap
0: opera stuff right there. Yeah. It was a
2: commentary on, on her is. relationship
4: with Harold. Um, Troy, I'm pregnant yes. and the baby's Chris's. <sighs>
2: Well, when I make a movie with uh, a baby with Bruce Willis's voice, I'll make sure
1: to uh, to. As Michael Jackson once said,
4: "The kid is not my son." And I'm leaving you for that other guy from the BC Ghostbusters, you know, Rowan, Rian, (laughs) that one, that one.
2: (laughs) What's his name?
4: The the one with the beautiful nipples. (laughs)
2: Wow. Moving right along uh, <laughs> so briley uh let's 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 keep on the nipple thing hey. here um things things that were surprising Please. to you what uh what struck you about that that second uh, two thirds of the book
4: like what what hit home with me yeah what what what
2: did Honest, you when you put the book down what was uh, left with you
4: how much uh human some people can be and how aspirational that can be to others. Um, I found that the fact that Harold had all these life events and then raised multiple steady, competent children who had – he had a fulfilling career, one that he was happy with, was amazing, that he basically was able to kind of put the past in the past and then move on. That's amazing. Most people – Never manage that. Um, I especially what especially hit me was uh, on page eight one eighty five, where he gives up hard drugs.
1: Yeah, and
4: yeah. it's it's just his wife Erica saying, "You do it, I'll do it." And then he goes, "You shouldn't do this." Okay, I'll stop.
2: Just <laughs> that's like, that's you know, great logic, though. Like I don't want you to yeah. do it, so why should I do it?
4: Yeah, and. I mean, obviously, we're not getting this firsthand. Maybe he did have problems afterwards. Maybe there was temptation. Or maybe he just turned the switch and went, I'm done. I'm good. That's amazing. That's brilliant. Um, The fact that he can have a public disagreement and falling out with a close friend on, on the movie and then... For years afterwards go, I've had dreams of making up with with him where I miss him and I I love him still. But ultimately, if he doesn't want to see eye to eye, yeah, I'm not going to ruin my life. It's not worth it. Yeah. Right? Like, my God, this man's like the steadiest person I've ever met. This is the exact person you want to call when you're panicked and go, oh, my God the house is on fire and the baby is in the tub using it as a rowboat. (laughs) What do I do? Because he'll probably have an answer going, well, of course you use the water from the tub to put out the fire. Yeah. By the way, I've also ordered you some warm socks. Winter's coming.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, that steady hand, uh, I I found myself often thinking like, Oh my God, in this this situation I would have stressed out. I would have freaked out. I would have not had the very steady, even-keeled response uh, that he had in, in several of these situations. And, and I, I almost feel like I, sh- I should be more like Harold in my life. I feel like I would probably be a healthier and less stressed out, low breast- blood-pressured person if I reacted to things in, in his way.
4: Um, yeah, that, that's- On that note, actually, I have a question for the child of among us. Uh, on 169, giggity, she <laughs> has a quote here from her teenage years about uh, her father trusting her. And obviously, as folks with children, I'm not wondering how you guys look at that. Like, obviously your children are not teenagers yet. But when they say when he says trust is something every teenager wants and something no parent in their right mind can give. Yeah. Does that seem like something you're gonna resonate with? Is that something like when your children are old enough you're gonna be like, Daddy loves you, but the tracking collar stays on <laughs>
2: <laughs> Chris, Chris, do you but, want to feel that one with uh, Thomas being closer to that uh, than mine? Uh,
3: yeah, the trick is <laughs> they have to become self-propelled first. And then then that starts coming into play. Um, and yeah, it, for me, it, it, it was pretty much spot on. Um, just because you spend all your time when you have a kid going, well, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. But at the same time, you can't not take care of them right like nothing else you have to be there as much as possible to try to keep them out of like bodily harm and that becomes more and more of a problem as you know they reach the age where you you, you just gotta get the hell out of the way like yeah. like I cannot follow Thomas around he has to I have to start you know letting the invisible leash out so he can you know, you know wander to his friend's house a couple of townhouses down and stuff like that or go up to the park which is just a you know, the other side of the parking lot from our place or, uh, and, you know, and then be prepared for the fact that you're going to be sitting inside and you're going to start hearing, you know, a panicked kid yelling for you because he's climbed up something he can't get down again. Um, yeah, it's pretty spot on. Um, it won't work otherwise. Like you don't end up with a self-actualized human being unless you let them do that. So yeah, but it's, it's tough. It's
2: hard. I mean, I, it, it, and, and the interesting thing here is, and again, it goes back to what we talked about in the first uh, book club about this kind of becoming a parenting manual, even though I don't think that that was the intention. You get an interesting case study between Erica who was raised by her mother and Harold. And then when, uh, did I say Erica? I meant Violet. Erica. I'm sorry, Violet, because I was thinking about Erica who comes into the picture to raise Julian and Daniel um, who you know, there's even that footnote on that same page that you were talking about, Briley, where she says that her father favored a hands-off approach to to the kids, but mm-hmm. Erica was a little more hands-on and wanted to make sure that they were being monitored a little bit more. And and uh, you know, if if you if you want to trust your child, um, it it seems like Erica is the result of a, a, a large amount of trust. Uh, I said it again. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Violet is the
0: result of a
2: whole lot of trust. Uh, it's the rum. It's, it's Briley passed the rum over to me and that's what's happened here. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Violet is the, is the result of, of a large amount of trust where Julian and Daniel are, uh, a little, perhaps a little less trust, a little more hands on. Where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you hanging out with? Have I met their parents? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting to see those, those two in conjunction with each other. Um, and I, I feel like Violet turned out, she, she, she wrote a wonderful book. Uh, she has kids of her own. It seems like she has a, a, a pretty good head on her shoulders, uh, from the words that are on the pages here. So, um, you know, uh, the, the hands-off approach may actually work. Uh, I, I for one, would probably want to know a few more things, you know, because she does talk about driving around Los Angeles uh, as a teenager and, and getting into trouble um, <laughs> and, and knowing yeah. things that can happen here in Los Angeles that you have easy access to. I'm like, where are you going? What, what are you doing? Who are you going with? The, that's what I find most interesting about reading. Are you says, going uh,
4: to make a Mel Brooks movie? God help me, son. Tell me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Oh God, I
3: hope somebody makes a Mel Brooks movie. We need <laughs> to Presumably one Mel more. Brooks. Uh, well, maybe, you know, don't rush. Um, I'm reading it just because I have a child that I can, I can start parsing some of the little lessons and tidbits and all that. You, on the other hand, Troy, have a daughter.
1: I do. Amazing
3: yeah. In
2: LA. <laughs> so there's. Who will not there's... be allowed to date until she's 30 <laughs> and uh, will, yeah. Uh... <laughs> It's uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very because and and she even mentions, you know, Violet talks about growing up in Santa Monica and there was a very bohemian lifestyle that lived around them with her mother before Erica entered the picture. And then things very much changed, which um, w- which is actually one of the things that I was kind of saving as, as some of the things that stood out to me was that that Harold was a very sort of kind of a hippie. He was really into the art scene and smoking weed and and that kind of thing. And then as soon as he gets married to Erica and he starts to sort of refine his tastes, he becomes a little bit more upper class, upper echelon. He goes yachting. She makes a, a, a comment about that, you know, his, his lifestyle changes and that's not the environment in which Violet was raised. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's one part, the, parents and what they're doing to, to, uh, observe and, and supervise and look over their kids. But at the same time, it's also the environment in which they've grown up because I bet Julian and Daniel grew up in a completely different environment than Violet was used to as well. So, and, and I think even in the pages that we talked about in the last book club, she mentions that the homes very much changed as soon as, as soon as her mother and Harold divorced Uh, you know it was like well I would go over to mom's and she had kind of like the the canvas out and it was very you know very art studio and then I'd go over to dad's house and it was a little more regimented now and it was a little different Um, and I I could smoke in my room at my mom's house that kind of thing
3: well see the thing is is that this book is presented as her and her dad and we get a lot of that but it's not exactly well hidden and we can't forget the fact that you know she was raised by three parents Uh, yeah uh, and that's and and who she is and who she became is so i mean yeah um uh you talk about her dad being very hands-off and all that but yeah but at the same time erica was kind of there as a counterpoint and even more so like her her uh, uh uh her her own mother uh kind of added in like a this third middle ground when she couldn't take either one of them and would head back home with her right like
1: yeah
2: it's almost like yes. Anne became the cool mom. Is what the the vibe that I got was that oh, Dad's being a jerk and he's putting all these rules on me. I would just go over to my mom's house, and you yeah. know she she would say like ah oh, whatever here let's let's smoke some weed and hang out and uh it it was uh, like it and it, I'm I'm sure every divorce kind of goes through that every every kid whose parents separate probably have to have yep. like. You know, my my dad's being a jerk, I'm going to go hang out with my mom. My mom's being a jerk, I'm going to go hang out with my dad, right? That's that's kind of, that's the cliches. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's true. It's totally 100% true. We, us divorced children,
3: do that.
4: Yeah. I've done it. And she still does it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and know. and it's pretty clear that the parents weren't always exactly 100% right either. Yeah. Uh, like, she no. makes it very clear a couple times there that no matter where she was, it, it like, the point that stuck out to me is that she pointed out, it never occurred to anybody to get doubles of anything.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, like, it was just assumed that everything was kind of covered, and she'd go between house and house and not have something that she needed, because she had one, it was just at the place she just left. Um, And, but, I mean, fair is fair. It's not, it's not like Everybody's old hat at being divorced and, you know, splitting custody with a child. So stuff like that kinda.
2: You're making it up as you go. Actually isn't there. Making a it point, up as you go. Maybe Briley, do you have do you have a, a wonderful sticky note somewhere? There there's something and I'm paraphrasing, Harold has a great quote that I should have highlighted that he says something too violet to the effect of like I've just been making this shit up as I go. (laughs) I I I believe
4: that's the entire book, Troy. It
2: really is. But he, he had, because he is a great writer, he's very, uh, very eloquent in his speaking. He did have something. I'll, I'll try to look for it as we're, we're continuing to talk here, but, um, well, uh, uh, Briley, did you have anything else before, uh, Chris, do you have, uh, we can move on to you if Briley doesn't have anything.
4: Oh please! I think I've monopolized enough of everyone's attention. <laughs> I'm lying. I'll take every bit of attention I can get, and we love it. We want it. We love it. Uh, what, well, Chris? You're asking me. Live what asking on me it.
3: Do, you're asking me to do is interrupt Riley. So uh, I can do that.
2: That is all right. What what moments to, stood out to you, Chris, uh, in this this second half? Uh,
3: there's uh, I, there's quite a few. Um, something that popped out at me was that she. Uh, just in writing these conversations she had with her dad, revealed uh, his number one uh, uh, pet name for her, which was My Baby.
1: Yeah. My like he just always put,
3: yeah. It, it, it's everywhere. Like, I stopped counting after a while. It was just so hands cute. down the number one pet name that he had for oh, her. Oh, God. And it really uh,
2: gets time. you in that New York visit that he takes right before he gets sick, right? When he's calling yeah. her baby. And yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry.
3: um there was other things uh, like the 9/11 and other bits. I I really um, I don't know. Part of my brain is is I try to, to match bits of information to bits of information. So things like 9/11 or when he's shooting and where he's doing all this. Like I can now the 9/11 story in particular. It's like well I remember where I was on that morning.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And in a weird way I can I now know exactly where Harold Ramos was was at that exact moment and I can say that about very few people let alone you know uh, celebrities with, who I have no real connection to sort of thing so that's yeah. was very striking. You know
4: what's but the, funny you know what's funny we all really gravitate to the nine eleven story because it's a big story I mean it's obviously one of the defining moments of the millennial generation but what's more present is the robbery that was a
0: far Oh my god more I totally dread, forgot about the robbery. Yeah.
4: Like that was a direct yeah. danger not only to Harold but his children. And and his yeah.
2: reaction. I mean that's that's what I was alluding to earlier with his steady hand. Like holy was, shit. Really that's that how pretty, he reacted
4: to it?
3: That was cool as a cucumber. And Yeah.
4: Yeah, well, it's I mean obviously I totally again forgot about that. The 9/11 thing is huge because that's a global thing. That is something that uh, in reality, change the world, and obviously everyone has a re- a reaction to something that big. Yeah. But the robbery for like direct response or direct threat is probably the highest point in the book. I I I, I may have may have been heading there. I
1: uh, but uh,
4: yeah, that's <laughs> what happens when you cut me off.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the thing is is is, is these are all. I mean, the fact that it's an amazing book. It's like every few pages, something just pops out at you. Yeah. Uh, that that was on my list: uh, the robbery, nine eleven. Her, but the one that I, when you you know you brought it up, you're like, well, what's the number one most? And what popped out at me is, she tells very early on the story of Bill Murray, coming to reconcile with her dad, and as by her description of how he was doing, it was very, very near the end. Uh, because he was not doing very well at all, sort of thing. Yeah, not speaking,
2: really, yeah.
3: Yeah. What got me at the end was what popped out at me is she talked about who, um, it's actually really kind of one of the sad points about outlining is that everybody was telling them to, well, if he gets back on his feet, he doesn't want to be negatively impacted by what's going on now. So they didn't really tell people about it much. And as a said, you know, he in that end, he was he wasn't really getting a lot of people, you know, reaching out to him and all that. She wasn't getting a lot of moral support because a lot of people didn't know and all that. But she listed off the people who were still coming by, and on the list was, you know, lifelong friend was uh, uh, Brian Doyle Murray. And what popped out of me is it's never said, but I would put dollars to donuts. That's why Bill came.
2: Yeah, Brian probably the, called his brother and said, his brother, "Hey, get very, your head out of your we, ass." Yeah,
3: we know. There's no, we know for a fact Bill Murray is nigh impossible to get a hold of in a timely fashion.
1: Yeah, but
3: if there's one person who would be able to call him up and say Harold is not in a good spot. If you ever wanted to do something about this, you
4: got to do it now.
3: I think, like I said, it was never really said, but I that's what popped out at me. Is mm. I, I I would honestly it makes
4: sense. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very insightful.
3: Hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. That's what I got. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Unless we bump into uh, to, uh, Doyle Murray on the street, I don't know that we'll ever know or that he'd even admit to it. But that's.
4: Brian, if my you're guess. listening.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Reach out to us. Call? We, we'd well, love to talk.
3: Yeah. Well, it's presented early on that he showed up, and we all just take it for granted that, oh, when somebody's sick, the word gets out. And then she says out later on. Word was not given to be given out. Like it was just not done. But then he actually made it practically in the nick of time. And I'm like, I honestly think his brother, one of the few people who obviously could just call him out of the blue and say pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. And oh one hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and,
2: and I feel like we'll talk about that more later too, because that that was really surprising to me that not a lot of people knew that he was as as sick as he was, uh, and and where he was, and the condition that he was in, um, yeah. That... And we
3: know this. We know this for a fact because we were smack dab in the middle of the TMZ internet age, and we knew, knew nothing, nothing about it yeah. until the end. Like yeah. only then did we know. Um, I, yeah, it's just like, and I mean, even even those of us who were talking to people who were talking to him and all that, it just nothing was you know nobody was even saying ah, i don't know so it was yeah like it was really isolated and it, it should like in any other circumstances it wouldn't have been like we live yeah. in a world where people are clambering to get into hotel rooms to take a picture for you know the 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 daily rags and all that sort of thing. And yeah, we just, nobody knew in the internet age, nobody knew that he was dying for yeah. years. And he, he loved and his privacy. Knew.
2: He, it seems like, I mean, except for the yeah. cheesecake factory well, thing, yeah, which we'll talk about. he loved his privacy <laughs> until he wanted to tape Right.
3: But that's we one of those know. amazing, the, those fantastic foibles that a guy was struggling to be as Buddhist as he possibly could be in life. And yeah. still had these very petty materialistic moments. Oh
4: my goodness. Yeah. The, the search isn't for that happiness. That, isn't, yeah. isn't that human nature? Like you will shrug off and hand wave all the big things, but the one little thing is like that's the camel. That's the thing you won't pass on. You'll say no. I want that.
1: You I know will the Do- Deal
4: with everything
3: else. <laughs> you know the Dalai Lama at one point has got fuck that shit.
2: <laughs> Don't you know I'm the How Dalai me- Lama? Get me my table here at the. <laughs> I'm the Dalai <to> <laughs> <a>
4: freaking <laughs> Lama. Give me the table. he's italian a lot of people don't know that about the dalai lama it's a well-kept secret Um, it's a little part of rome called little tibet
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh god i love the visuals that 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 elicits little little tibet in rome um but uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's talk about Ghostbusters. Oh, well, before we move on, I did want to talk about the Ghostbusters stuff, but I did find that passage that I was talking about earlier. Um, so it's, it's on page 308, and I don't have a sticky note. I'm sorry I was lax, but I did wow. find it. Um, it's, it comes after Harold gives this very wise advice to violate about the three Cs, and that's why I actually had it highlighted because he, he highlighted encouraging, prioritizing uh, competence, confidence, and compassion, and that was one of the things that I, I took away from the book that I'm going to try to do every day. Uh, but on the next page following, that's where, uh, the, the phrase that I was trying to paraphrase, he says, uh, he's, they're talking about, you know, parenting and Violet now has kids of her own and she's trying to say, is it going to get any better dad? And and he says, um, no, it basically it gets worse. You, you get big kids, you get bigger problems. Um, and so she responds, it keeps getting worse. Great. And he says, no, my baby, it's all hard and it's all wonderful. Well, not all of it, but most of it, you just gotta surrender and give up on the illusion of control that that was the line that i was I was searching for that yeah, he's not making shit up as he goes. he just has given up that illusion of control basically that you can't you can't control everything. you just have to be hands off and and see what happens so it's
3: a very powerful bit. I feel like I only read
4: it about a half an hour ago. <laughs> just really hmm. That's that steel-like memory of yours. Fresh in your mind. Action. Fresh in your mind. Yeah. Wow.
2: Well, let's let's talk about, because we are on a Ghostbusters podcast, uh, this is what everybody that tuned in to the last book club was like, you guys didn't even talk about Ghostbusters. Well, uh, Ackroyd adjacent, really? we they? talked about Ghostbusters. Did they
4: say that? Yeah, I'm we got a couple. I'm on Twitters, so I don't get all these messages.
2: Stay away from the Twitters, my friend. Stay away as far as you can. All I
4: got was really was one really nice lady who said I sounded like Archer. So- yeah. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Which is all ironic because I always thought I sounded like Bob from Bob's Burgers. Uh, all right, I'll
2: give you that. I'll give
4: you Bob's. Not. I mean, thank
2: you. Not Archer. Not Archer at uh, all. I know. Bob from Bob's uh, Burgers.
4: Maybe the,
3: <laughs> the book is is called uh, Ghostbusters' Daughter. Ghostbusters' so argument- Daughter. Yeah. Is invalid. The whole thing is about Ghostbusters. We did. So we
2: did. There you go. But so let's 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 spend some some of our discussion time here uh, talking about the Ghostbusters related content. And um, it is interesting. We did talk about it in the last book club that it's very tangential because Violet was very young when both of the Ghostbusters films were being produced and came out. Um, but what what were some of now, of your observations, everybody? On I on have something
4: stuff? right off the bat for yeah, this. Yeah, hit us. What do you got? All right. When they're talking about Ghostbusters 1, when they're talking about stuff flying off their belts and bits and bobs flinging away, there is so not one true. person who has worn a Ghostbusters <laughs> flight suit and the belt and all the gizmos and not had that situation. Yep.
2: That's why you carry the Gorilla Glue in your breast pocket at all times,
4: just in case. Everybody has yeah. like gone down the stairs a little too fast, <laughs> accidentally kicked their PKE out of the holster. Riley, down do you want
1: to
0: tell us the clattering. story about when you did the, the costume contest yeah. and you lost
4: your trap? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, you lost your oh, trap. Yeah. I know. Uh, I lost more than my trap that day. I lost my innocence.
2: This, oh my this God, took a turn. Long, this took a turn.
4: Point. Way gone by that point. Um, it was at a convention. They were doing a costume contest, and I'd like to take this moment to say... Not The Ontario Ghostbusters have never won a costuming contest, although we have entered multiple times uh, an officially recognized costuming contest. We have never won yet, but I'm hoping to change that one day. So anyway, I was in this costuming contest, and now you know what the result was. And I got to the semifinal round, surprised that there is a semifinal round. And the host said, well, there's only one way to settle this, and it's a dance-off. And if you do not burst into a cold sweat when you're wearing a Ghostbusters flight suit with all the belt gear, and it's like, yeah, you have to dance now. And it's like, well, hell. I can barely walk, but okay. This was not (laughs) meant for dancing, son. This was meant for busting ghosts. But sure, I'll give it a shot. So I start with the, you know, the old finger point, you know, the end of real Ghostbusters finger pointing. I go into a twirl. I was about to attempt a double somersault backflip when suddenly my trap just bounced right out of the holster, clatters on the ground, doors break off. It's one of the Maddie traps. Doors pop off. And, like, everybody... It's, it's an interesting sensation, and I got to think it's kind of like being on a space shuttle when there's a pressure drop because all the air was sucked out of the room. Everybody collectively inhaling, going, <gasps> and, needle, uh, needle on the record.
1: And yeah, much. for all that, I
4: still lost.
2: Ugh. Didn't even get the, the pity vote for breaking... I
4: lost. Yeah, I lost a girl dressed as something from an anime. I wouldn't be able to tell you which one. <laughs> uh, I well, know.
0: now your costume is incomplete, so you couldn't win.
4: See? That's the kind of sympathy I go to uh, Salama Nama Ding Dong for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wasn't that the convention that you actually got to meet the voice actor for Bob from Bob's Yes, murders? Yes, it was, actually. Yeah.
2: H. John Benjamin, no relation. He, uh, was, uh,
4: very, he was very nice. He was a little. He acted a little surprised to be there.
2: Yeah, I
4: wasn't there, but I know all of about it.
2: Yeah, it was pretty good. Well, so yeah, so that that is the anecdote uh, for for the first film that she remembers being on set. Well, she remembers staying at a hotel yeah. with her father near Central Park and being in New York, and I think that's where her love affair with New York city began. So Violet eventually moves and becomes a New Yorker. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, anecdotal, that's what she remembers. They're filming and stuff is falling off of the belts and falling off of the packs and, and Ivan's getting upset and rubbing his temples. Um, as any good director who's, uh, got, you know, a, a line producer who's breathing down their temples? neck will do. Yeah. Temples, uh, temple yeah. Zul. Uh, no, uh? Uh, uh. um, but uh, but yeah, and then, and then the other tangential sort of uh, like her, her anecdote about Ghostbusters 2 was that she was excited to meet Bobby Brown. Um, so, you know, for all of the things that we as fans focus on, we love the costumes. We love the, the, the visual effects. We love the jokes. We love uh, whatever it may be that you focus on uh, on that micro detail. Uh, but
4: on 159, she says Bobby Brown is cool. Bobby
2: Brown is cool, and she and and the whole story about Ghostbusters 2 is about how nervous she was to meet Bobby Brown, and uh, you know it, it it's 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 kind of funny. It's because it kind of comes from a fan perspective, right? Like if if one of us were talking about meeting Bill Murray, we would probably say something similar to this. Like oh my god I, I I my my palms were sweating and I was really nervous and I didn't want to interrupt him and uh, and that was her experience on Ghostbusters too but with somebody who shows up for all of one scene and of course the 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 song which we play wow. here at the top of the show all the time but um it's it's the kind best of funny song the best yeah. song one of the best songs yeah
4: um I actually found it kind of interesting that she states she didn't really enjoy Ghostbusters until she was in her teenage years. What, right? Why, like, that's why is that? All
0: the jokes.
4: Well, that's well, yeah, true. Yeah. Most of us, in fact, I'll go out on a limb and say the majority of the people listening were not as old as I am when they first saw, saw Ghostbusters. They were probably much, much younger. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, especially you, Solange. Yep. So, I can't imagine from a maybe it's just a perspective bias because from my perspective i see a whole bunch of people who saw this when they were 5 yeah. and 6 and 3 or not born yet and go i've loved it since i seen it the first time and for her she had to like take that step back because she she recognized it was a movie and she recognized that, oh, I remember when they were shooting this scene, or I remember when they shot that scene. And part of it is, you know, obviously some of the jokes are not going to be, you know, relevant to a younger person, but still it's it's interesting that she didn't she needed to step away from being literally the Ghostbusters' daughter yeah. to appreciate Ghostbusters.
2: Well, and, and that kind of, that jumps ahead a little bit in our discussion points here, but how much of that do you think ties into the fact that your dad, because she does talk about going to school and all of her friends are enamored with the fact that her dad is Egon, that, you know, they, they see him get out of the car to pick her up at school. And, you know, uh, everybody wants to kind of hang around and see Egon. And, and she's like, that's my dad. Like, but well, I don't understand, you know, these kids are going home and they're sleeping on real Ghostbusters bedsheets or they're eating Ghostbusters cereal or they're playing with the action figures. They're watching the cartoons. Like that has to be very surreal as a kid that even if it's an animated iteration of your father, all these kids around you are, are uh, there's like hero worship of your dad and they don't even know your dad. That, that has to be kind of weird. And maybe I wonder if that turned her off to Ghostbusters a little bit too. If she kind of was uh, not, not opposed to Ghostbusters, but maybe there was a little bit of resistance in terms of like, well, everybody around me loves it because they love your character, but you're just my dad. I don't understand. Like you, you don't want your dad to be that cool guy. Kind of, I don't know. Is uh, Did you guys get that impression at all? Or, or, or how would you react? Like if, if your parents were on breakfast cereals and, and bed sheets and things like that, would you, would you embrace that? Would you be like, "Oh, that's my dad. I'm really proud of him," or you'd be like, "Oh God, Dad, you're embarrassing me."
0: I'd ride that all the way to the end, really? Oh, yeah, you know how Harold goes to the the cheesecake factory and he's like, "But you don't know who I am. That would be me in school. But do you know who my dad is? <laughs> my dad is egon. But do you know who my dad is like that would <laughs> that would be me
2: one hundred percent but i'd I'd, I'd d- milk it. I don't know. I'd milk it. Do you do you feel like she she kind of was like a, a magnetic opposite to Ghostbusters because of that for any reason or or did I just kind of could, misread it, things? It could
0: be. No, it it honestly could be. And I mean, like I'm pretty sure everyone sitting in this virtual room right now would have a different out or different, I guess, input on it. But yeah, it could that could definitely be it. Especially because a at the time she was an only child and he you know he was her world and now all these kids want a piece of her dad. It could have been that too. Uh, it's yeah. I I don't know. Me personally, I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the reason why she, she wasn't really, she was meh about it.
2: I feel like I, I kind of read into it because Harold sits her down during pre-production on Ghostbusters two and hands her the script and is like, I want you to read this and tell me what you think. I'm going to watch you and I'm going to pour over every like reaction that you have. And she says something like, don't you want like a boy to read this or it's kind of that like Ghostbusters isn't for me, dad. And I wonder if, if that was part of it too. Mm.
0: Little did she know how many (laughs) years later,
2: (laughs) finally, that that, uh, she'd have a book called Ghostbusters Daughter and she would embrace it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I can't, I was always proud that my dad, my dad was a lawyer and he, he did a lot of like real estate stuff and contractual. He was never like the the lawyers that got made fun of or were eaten in Jurassic park. Like my dad was never that kind of guy. So I was, I was always pretty proud of him, but, um, but I never wanted to be a lawyer. So I, I almost wonder if that was part of it too. Like I want to do my own thing. Dad is this person who just happened to be a ghostbuster. And if she's, you know, eight or nine years old at that point, I'm trying to like 89, she would have been 10, 11. How old was she at that point?
4: Briley. Uh, she doesn't state her age at the start of every chapter
2: i well i want to say she was born in 79 i wonder if i can quickly go to the pictures and just sort of say
3: well if she was 15 in she would have been about 10 wouldn't she 10 there you go well how old did she say she was
4: when she went through uh, ghostbusters 2 yes she was Um, oh she was born with christopher stewart's age of 10
2: yeah, cuz she was no. in Greece in 1977. So she was and actually older wrong, than 10.
4: Man, op- omnipotent force of interconnected people and 140 characters, tell me I'm wrong.
2: <laughs> On your new Twitter account Please. that you just signed up for. I have no, no
4: Twitter account, folks. It'll be
0: our Twitter. So means I will have to forward the good multibrile.
2: luck Ontario underscore ghostbusters on Twitter and <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, so she was, she was a baby in Greece in 1977. So I think she was probably, uh, 11 or 12 yeah. at, at the point of ghostbusters two. So there's a photo here, new baby, new parents, 1977. Yeah. Uh, you did, you did the same thing I did. I was like, Oh, look, the, the photos are really accessible and they have dates on them. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We wait, didn't wait. talk about this. Wait, wait, it just occurred to me because you wait. said new baby, new parents. She was not, was she not born in Toronto? Does that not make her technically Canadian? Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yes.
4: Dope. And, okay, continue. Great White North claims another, eh? <laughs>
2: Well didn't didn't Harold identify as a Canadian for the majority of, of his life as well, I would say. Like I think he was dual citizenship. I think Well, that he would was have had to be to work yeah. here at that time, I think. Um
3: Yep. She was born in Toronto.
2: Yeah. Dope. So there you go. She she is one of the three of you, and not like She's this jerk face us. over here.
4: One of us <laughs> spell things with a U. you
2: <laughs> <Calure. laughs> Um, but uh, I so frankly
4: don't know Zed. what you're talking about. Eh?
2: <laughs> well, uh, so let's let's play. We did get a couple of voicemails uh, from from some wonderful listeners uh, to participate. Let's go to uh, Jacob from the Circle City Ghostbusters who wanted to talk Hi, about. Jacob.
5: Still hey, doing it.
2: Say hello. I uh, uh, wanted to talk about his observations on the uh, the Ghostbusters-related uh, content, and then we'll come back. Hey,
5: guys. Uh, Jacob here from Circle City. Thanks again for playing that voicemail about the your Hudson thing. That was awesome. Um, I really liked hearing um, from the second half of the book about Year One and Bedazzled. I really love those films, and um, you just, they don't get talked about nearly enough, I don't think. And um, Some of the Ghostbusters things, like, the one thing that stuck with me about the Ghostbuster stuff was the whole... They called Dan Aykroyd Uncle Roy. And the whole time I was reading it, I couldn't help but think that it was like how, you know, little kids will like say things wrong sometimes and like say words as different words. And like Uncle Roy, Aykroyd, like they sound sort of similar, you know? Like maybe it's just like they got confused as a kid and that's just what they called him. I don't know. Like this is what stuck in my head.
2: All right. Interesting, Jacob. Yeah. So you you bring up something that another voicemail uh, listener uh, from Saskatchewan brought up uh, last week. Uh, The Uncle Roy in uh, talking about Martha's Vineyard, because later in the book, she does bring up, you know, Violet has these fond memories of Martha's Vineyard. She remembers her dad and uh, Dan and Ivan writing the Ghostbusters screenplay. Excuse me. And she remembers calling Dan Aykroyd Uncle Roy. Uh, so last week, somebody said maybe Bill Murray misspoke in saying Roy stance because he was thinking of Uncle Roy as the Godfather of Violet. Maybe it was in his mind. It could have been one of those slips that was just very fortuitous for our conversation here. Uh, any any thoughts on that, or or did you guys have any thoughts about the the Martha's Vineyard section that comes later in the book?
1: I
0: I mean Martha's it's mentioned very briefly throughout interviews, and Ivan mentions it fondly. And for some reason, anytime he does mention it, it always makes it sound like they locked themselves in a room and didn't come out until it was done. But she has like she has these fond memories of them sitting there and then going to the pool and laughing and more yellow notepads. Like it, uh, it's a it's a nice different take on it because literally all I thought was they kind of locked themselves in some cottage and wrote. <laughs> well, well, Danced their they families. Nicknamed, they nicknamed
3: yeah. it the bunker, which is yeah. yeah it was very bunker light like, except for. You know, the beaches and dinner parties every (laughs) evening. But yeah, sure, bunker.
4: If you're going to have a bunker, that's the type of bunker to have. It is a good one. (laughs) It's not very good against bombs, but it's very,
3: very comfortable. Uh,
2: It's very posh, very comfortable,
4: yeah. Yeah, but who would want to live in a cement enclosure 200 feet under the ground anyway, right? If I'm going to turn into nuclear ash, I might as well turn into nuclear ash while sipping on a 1912 champagne.
2: Uh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> I saw I saw uh, that I other Brendan it. Fraser movie. I, I know it. how this ends up.
0: I, I was gonna uh, say the, the the what was that movie with Brendan Fraser? I heard it. Someone just mentioned that bla- Blast from
2: the Past. Well no, or it's Bedazzled. Not
0: bedazzled. Blast yeah. from What's wrong the past? with you? That's the that movie. was
2: Jacob. That was what Jacob just brought up was Bedazzled. Blast, blast Blast from the Past was the one that I was thinking of, where he's like the kid from the fifties or sixties that wakes up in 1990 and falls in love with Alicia Silverstone. And it's and a good
0: Christopher movie. Walken is his dad. It's yeah.
2: The best. Again, Brendan yeah. Fraser. I mean, uh, Jacob brought up bedazzled and I love Brendan Fraser. I've got a soft spot for him. And, and, and she Me even too. goes into that in the book, like Harold fought for Brendan Fraser and bedazzled, even though the studio wanted somebody else as they always do. George um, of the jungle. George of the jungle.
4: i i yeah, I'm just naming Brandon Fraser movies at this point. Mommy, uh... Encino Man, Encino Man. Yeah.
0: What's that one that he did with um, Sir Ian McKellen?
3: Gods and Monsters.
0: That's the one. There yes. Oh my God, so
3: good. Um, I'm going to interject that uh, to Jacob's uh, point. Uh, great minds think alike because I had the same thought when I read it about the Uncle Roy thing. But the more I think about it, the more I I don't think that's the case. I think they're they're too independent. But
2: uh, well, Bill was so hands off. I mean, Violet even makes a, a statement that he was yeah. the absentee godfather that yeah, never responded he, to anything. Well, so let's
3: let's put it let's put it another way. Bill, at least as a young man, could be a little self centered. Maybe is a way to look at it, which suggests <laughs> then that he may not be filing away. Things children have uh, decided to call Dan Aykroyd for two years to then accidentally bring up in a in a in an interview. But m- the other thing is, uh, there's no indication how long or how often he was around.
2: That's a good uh, point. Yeah, that that Dan should have figured in more. And I think I think it was Craig Goldberg who even said something like, "I was surprised Dan Aykroyd didn't figure more into this book. That Violet yeah. didn't have more interactions with him."
4: Well, while well, he is th- also not the point of the book. Yeah. Well, sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean as well, much no. as we all want to hear good Harold and Dan stories but this is this is the thing this this drives home the
3: point that we'd like to think that everybody we like all hangs out together and they don't I mean it's not necessarily animosity it's just everybody has their own life and not everybody's life overlaps and 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 Dan's and and Harold's kind of overlapped in you know, fairly limited ways over there. But the thing about writing Ghostbusters is and she even mentions like Belushi was alive at the time when they were working on that. Like she mentions Belushi in that, in that bit. She mentions his wife. Is it his wife?
0: Yeah. Or, okay.
3: uh, or so a Belushi's be wife. Yeah.
2: Cause I think, I think Judith, yeah, she was part of the Martha's Vineyard thing that they would have dinners with her.
3: I may have just decided that it was slightly earlier. I mean, I know they wrote the script pretty quickly the year before, was it the summer before they went into production in the fall? I can't remember it was that. quick,
0: and he was yeah, he was already passed you, you that, Maybe
2: because she does, she mentions Belushi earlier in speaking of her. Like her, her father yeah. talks about John Belushi as like a force of nature, and and um, yeah, she she sort of well, mentions him. Yeah,
3: she mentioned the the being carried around like a prop at a party. She then talks about these parties, so it's I I would <laughs> guess that he may have been at some of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I'd hook up the two points, but like I said, I had the same thought.
2: That was the. I think you're talking about the trick baby uh, section, because that that's actually now a, a phrase that I've coined for my daughter. Because we'll go around and trick it was baby. like, oh, she's so cute. I'm gonna have kids, and I'm like, yeah, she's a trick baby. Get ready. Well,
3: wasn't she, was she talking about carrying her over her shoulder? Like that, that suggests an older child than. A, a baby oh or maybe, maybe. A oh, oh
2: that's right that was gilda radner that was calling her the trick baby trick uh, baby yeah, yeah. where yeah. She,
3: she described it as he would carry her over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes right something like that right but,
1: yeah
2: yeah so
1: um,
3: i don't
2: know um yeah I, I think it was just very coincidental that we happened to be talking about ghostbusters daughter and the uncle roy thing came up yeah. and then roy stance was in that that really, Boston interview from 1984. and We'll just, never
3: and, know yeah. until we bump into Brian Doyle Murray on the street and ask him. <laughs> and
2: have, have him call We're just going to have a
0: list of questions for yeah. this poor man by the for, time we're for, done. For, <laughs> phone lines <laughs> are open, Brian. Uh, Feel free to call. And no you may like, talk All right, about what the hell do
2: you, you? do you want? Just uh, go on. Yeah, 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 let's start, not right. talk
0: about your career. Let's talk yeah. about your brother. So,
4: What do you think your brother meant by this? Yeah. <laughs> um so i my I, god I, he must be so sick of that can you imagine yo, the man oh, has you're... a career in his own right and people probably pester him with news about his brother yeah he's he in
2: all of the murray's i would imagine um yeah it's just well, I don't know. Be... See,
3: for whatever reason it worked out that way he goes by brian doyle murray i i don't know that people automatically unless they've heard about it i don't know that they associate one with the other
4: i mean it's they possible look alike, i suppose though they
3: look a little bit but they're also like like a like a they kind of look 10 years apart i don't know what the official age gap is between them but brian has always looked like he's he, well, i mean he is he's the older brother but he's always looked older.
2: like he's older mm-hmm. i don't know i feel like they Not do a mention. lot together Shorter. now too like they did that baseball series on on facebook Ruffer. together and so maybe <laughs> <laughs> He's a <laughs> muppet. <laughs> <laughs> you should <you're, you're laughs> Brian To a muppet. Um, well, all right. So have we have we exhausted Ghostbusters talk? Uh, because is there is there anything else that was was uh, Ghostbusters related worth uh, worth mentioning or, or dissecting?
3: Um, Go ahead. Only so much we can get, just because. I mean, she was you know a little girl. There's yeah. we we kind of got the little bits that she remembers.
1: Um,
4: all right. Well, and so, again, it's more about her father as a whole person, yeah. yeah than you yeah. know, the movie.
2: Less, less about production woes and and uh, writing scripts and re- reactions to things and that that sort of thing. So, um,
3: I would I would argue that she remembers that 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 shot that we were talking about with the bits falling off at the library, <laughs> uh, specifically because Ivan Reitman has always been the grumpy old man of ghostbusters
2: <laughs> this this is true, this is true,
3: even when he was the grumpy young man of ghostbusters uh,
2: um, and and we've heard multiple stories from the ghostbuster set uh, I think Michael ensign tells a story too that uh you know Ivan was getting grumpy about uh things not going right because the guys were ad living or, or things like that uh yeah um very, very rings rings very true um all right well so he's on here,
3: he's on brand <laughs>
2: he's he's on brand he's on Ivan Reitman brand. Um so here's what I'm thinking we're about an hour in uh, I I do want to start talking about um some of the more uh serious things that happen uh we'll break it up by talking about the 5 minute buddhist just for our own uh sake uh to kind of add some levity to the conversation but um so in our last book club meeting we discussed Nothing
4: cheers a conversation up like religion like like the 5 minute <laughs> buddhist
2: um but, uh, so, so the rare moments we, we alluded to the cheesecake factory thing earlier here in the episode, uh, and, and even in, in the last, uh, book club episode, we talked about the cat, uh, which I know was oh, a point of contention back around again, to the a lot cat. of people, um, the so cat came back. It's true. The, ca- the cat came <laughs> back in this episode, indeed. Um, but so, so things that stood apart from Harold's usual character, you know, he usually had a calm and steady hand. He dealt with things in such a manner that, uh, is very admirable, and you kind of self-reflect on things, and you think about, oh my God, how would I react in that situation? And I think there is no bigger moment. Well, I, I mean, the the I guess there is a bigger moment. There is the robbery that we talked about earlier, but uh, when when Violet goes into the room uh, to tell her parents that she's pregnant, um, Harold's reaction to that the the very first time um, that sort of you know uh, Violet is is scared and she's afraid that she's, she's had these morning sicknesses and things have been like the writing has been on the wall that she knows that she's pregnant and she doesn't know how her parents are going to react. And then Harold is very calm. He's very cool. He's collected. He says, I'll make the, I'll make the call to the doctor. Um, you know, we'll take care. Don't worry, baby. We'll take care of this basically is, is what happens. Um, everything
4: is going to be okay, baby. We're going to take care of it and we're going to take care of you. 183.
2: One one eighty three, and this is—I mean, this this spawned con, uh, some some conversation between my wife and I. You know, if my daughter were to come in and, and tell this to us, would I react in the same way? Um, and and without getting, we don't have to we don't have to dive into the the moral or the political um, connotations of things here because I don't I don't feel that like that's appropriate f- for this discussion. But just in terms of Harold's reaction, um, you know, how how is this? completely and wildly different from the person that he is that's at the cheesecake factory demanding a table because nobody knows who he is. And, and, and Violet even pointing that out that like he had these rare moments where you would forget like, Oh, he, he is a celebrity. He knows he's a celebrity and can have that, that persona. But then there's this very calm, cool and collected version of Harold. Uh, how did you guys react to this? How did, how did you all feel when you read this?
0: I think our, our natural reaction to a story like this, in any other form, so whether it be in like TV or film, and usually when a daughter walks in and tells her dad that she's pregnant, the reaction that we we see or that we expect is for them to freak out. Through media and maybe even personal experience, through some that's what we've expected. So for that, for us to read that that's not his first reaction, I think that's what makes it so shocking. There's a condition that we're used to and we didn't get that.
4: I think it's an admirable way he responds to this because he treats it like his daughter is so important to her uh, to him that he won't yell at her for this. He's not going to blame her or, or call her anything. She's, he's going to take care of her. She is still his daughter. Right. Yeah, and what and, good is
2: yelling at her going to do, basically? Yeah, yeah.
4: Especially when she's already in tears. I, I th- he was able to see past whatever emotion he might have had at the time and realize it's more important to be a father at this point. Any emotion he had was secondary at this moment because his daughter needed him. Yeah. But more is goes, there to it,
3: really? Yeah, it's fairly simple. Like uh, he will always take care of his. Stuff. That came up. We'll take. You know, we're happy to help. We're happy to help. We're happy to help. I mean, I don't. This kind of goes to Solange's point that he he wasn't carrying around any of the baggage that also comes with people freaking out. Like there's there's two there's two things. Uh, as much as Hollywood or whatever kind of plays it up, that parents have to freak out or whatever in real life, people get stressed out over hearing that their daughter is, uh, is is having a baby. It's for two things. One, not married. Yeah. And that's not something that ever really kind of was a hang-up as dad ever really had. And, and particularly when you start factoring in, like, Molly and stuff like that. Like, there was nothing conventional about how you were supposed to have a family in that family. So mm-hmm. that obviously wasn't going to panic him. And, um, I mean, I don't I don't want to sound mean. That's not what I'm doing, and 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 I will I will offset that by pointing out that she was well aware of it too, because she made the the funny joke at one point. Uh, she started a sentence, "Privilege, check." <laughs> um, she pointed out, like, and he he made the same point, which is, "What's the point of having all this money if we can't help you? If we can't make life easy, sort of thing." Like, he's like, "What's the point of making all this money if you can't go make the hard decision of?" Studying to be a social worker and stuff like that, like yeah. So I mean, some of some of his his reaction comes out of the well. It's twofold. One of it is is yeah, he has kind of a, a philosophical stance on parenthood that's kind of atypical, or maybe it's not. But but you know, the the drama in, in most stories comes from ah, you're not married, or ah, you know, just you're, that, too that, yeah. you're too young, you're too young. That that was never really. On his a you know a a worry and the other one is he had the luxury to consider things like this is not a problem and you know i i think given the amount of stories she talked about working you know doing social work she'd be the first to admit that that's not something a lot of people get a lot of people will have the the immediate reaction of oh crap like how do we how do we do this like how does this work then so,
2: well, and, a, and uh, a certain amount of that is surprise or shock, too, which I, I didn't get the impression of at all, at least in the way that Violet tells the story, that she goes into the room to tell Harold and Erica that she's pregnant, and they already know. Basically, Harold completes her <laughs> sentence and is like, you're pregnant? I'll make the call. So it's it's kind of contradictory mm-hmm. to the... To what we were talking about earlier in this episode, with Harold being a hands-off, trusting father, he knew she was yeah. pregnant. He had seen that she was sick, that she wasn't herself, that maybe she had some some symptoms. She was uh, sick in the morning, uh, you know, whatever whatever it might have been that clued him off. He already knew, and it was almost like he was waiting for her to tell him. Yeah. And and maybe those conversations had happened. Maybe the shock and the uh, whatever whatever arguments had to happen had ha- already happened before she even walked into that room to tell them. Which I I think to me that's a, a sign of great parenting. He was aware yeah. that his daughter was going through something, and had observed that and had made that. Uh, you know, had had been able to call that in advance. At least that's the impression that I got from the way that she told the story. It could have been totally different, but
3: yeah, it occurs to me too, that now that you're mentioning it, I think I'm kind of lumping both her first child and then her first pregnancy into.
2: Well, oh, so that's interesting because he reacts a different it, yeah. way for the second pregnancy, right? Like he actually kind Which of gets mad, he, right?
1: Yeah.
3: But it's also the one where he came around fairly quickly to say, we will help you with this decision. Like to take care of, to, to have the kid,
2: um, mm. that, that I brings just a, realized Yeah, I that's speaking your, to a
3: slightly different point than you
2: guys. Well, no, no, that's, that's actually, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I had completely forgotten about that. When she does have her first son, right? Harold it gets kind of standoffish and there's, there's a little bit of a gap that, that occurs between the two of them that has to be, uh, you know, they have to bridge over and they have to smooth yeah. over. I had completely forgotten about that.
3: Well, that if I recall correctly was him being mad because he saw it as a shutting down of her potential. Uh, uh and did, I think there's even a the
0: the everyone oh I
3: think there's a line in there where it talked like like yeah, you're going to have a kid which means everything everything shuts down. But that's kind of when the the, th- the stuff I was talking about came up is that when he kind of came to grips with it, he he, he Real. it was the one of the first times he pointed out, We'll help you do this because it'll allow you to, you know, finish school and stuff like that. And, uh, uh which he did. And, uh, and then 9 11 happened. So there you go. Uh, no, I don't. That was <laughs> later on.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, <clears throat> it's I mean, it, earlier, it, rather. Does, does this show. I mean, as much as we idealize him and we, uh, you know, I I put Harold... I
4: was about to say, don't forget, when she had her baby, her second baby, or when she had her second pregnancy, uh, and they were having this standoffish moment, like, they needed Erica to come in and tell her, look, swallow your pride and talk to your dad. Right. And even then, uh, she says very bluntly, we had to have a couple therapy sessions just to work things out. Like there was a a barrier there that they had both put up and it's not said like it's a big tearful thing. And we, you know, through we we hugged it out and so on, but clearly there was enough there that he was still kind of going, well, you're so young or who knows what, but there, he clearly thought there was a problem.
3: Yeah, that's that kind of goes to my last point, too, is that they have this luxury of things like therapy to take care well, of. Yeah. like I forget the gentleman's name, John something, but he was the opener for Louis Black, and he has got a bit in his about, about as a man dealing with his, his emotions and things like that. It's like, he doesn't let them out. He packs them in. Pack, pack, pack. Pack, pack, pack. He had this, this pack, pack, pack. Most people have to pack, 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 whereas they got to... They, they got to the therapy hash it out um, you know that's uh, that's obviously a bit of an unusual advantage yeah well, but um,
2: and and you get you get violet's perspective on things too for that for that second pregnancy I think she calls it a get out she had a, a get out of jail free card that she had utilized in the first experience and then she didn't necessarily want to do the second yeah. time. Um, And and maybe Harold saw things like you were saying that, you know, if she became a mother and she had those responsibilities and she hadn't quite figured out her own lot in life, uh, you know, she she was still his baby. There's no way that his baby should have another baby quite yet. Um, You know, maybe it was it was part of him just being human. Maybe he was just being a dad who wasn't quite ready to come to grips with being a grandfather quite yet, because you know, his, his baby was still trying to find her way and he wanted to make sure that she was settled and okay before that occurred. Um, And, and meanwhile, she didn't want to, she didn't want to go through the process of another abortion just because she had already been through it. And she, and, and, and it does, it has an emotional toll and it weighs on you. And, and she, she didn't want to go through that again.
3: Well, it, I mean, c- certain bits were, it was it's played up a lot more, but I, I think there's a number of instances where we can look at it, and it just comes out that, you know, for all his laid back and philosophy, he had, you know, he's just an average human being with, uh, you know, human being, uh, reactions to things. And so, for example, her um, uh, relationship with Keith, there was a, a little bit laid out there that amounted to they weren't quite down with it but then got to meet him and got to know him and all of a sudden you know got to the point where he was part of the family even beyond you know spoiler uh, beyond them breaking up later on
2: uh, yeah yeah Keith, was an instrumental factor when harold got ill yeah um or or even with the wedding too um yeah
3: yeah again another it it blows by it's just a, a short paragraph but but showed that his first reaction was kind of I don't know, and then you know, given enough time to think about it and and assess, and
4: well, got I to think it point was where also the Keith is the one with the cheese, no, with the uh, carrot cake. Right, yeah, right? well, that's the one of the, the things baby, that, right? that
3: won him over. Yeah, that's that was that was when he knew that this guy was actually thinking about his daughter and all this, and, and yeah, and like I said, it's it's very poignant then that when Harold was not able to go to her wedding later on. And given how hard that would be for Keat, Keat went to Harold to be with him because he couldn't travel. And the two of them, I guess it was like they said, it was a week, like the two of them hung out together for a week. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Harold didn't just accept him. He kind of turned into another son, which, again, it's kind of crazy how many freaking kids this guy yeah. took. Uh, Amaya is one that. We haven't even touched. Oh dogs. yeah, to the point like, that they
2: adopted. Yeah, which I had no idea.
1: No,
3: yeah, was that, was that a proper adoption or was that I just don't sort think of exchange so. Exchange into again of, yeah. It yeah, kind of it was a kind yeah, informal sort of, like like Keith. Like it was just like, well, you're part of the family now. Um,
0: so I have a question because you're both dads now. One obviously daughter one son how would you guys react to either having your daughter tell you at a young age hey dad i'm pregnant or thomas coming to you chris and being like hey dad i knocked up my girlfriend like what like i mean it's hard because you guys they're so young but what do you um, think uh,
1: after i'm gonna be this? first
4: and say Where i ship sh- the troy chris children oh
2: my I'm, god <laughs>
4: i would like to see the the oh. interdimensional cross rip going into the future
2: that uh, yeah i mean i've Hey, we'll we'll introduce the two of them and we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it happens.
4: Cuz um, I, was about to I say mean that, like
0: after after reading this yeah. book and seeing how he parents or how he reacts to it, do you think that that would change your reaction going forward or would it literally just be the knee jerk reaction that you would
3: get? <laughs> or would you I try to control refused, it? I refuse to think about this for at least another hour.
2: <laughs> it's Yeah, I mean it's I eight can years put
3: it off. Plus, yeah.
2: I, I I feel like I, cause as I was reading the book, I actually, I, I mean, I was sitting with my wife in the living room while I was reading it. And I put it down and I said, huh. And she goes, you know, of course you start talking about w- w- what you were reading. And, and I said, well, here's what happened and here's how Harold reacted. And how would we react? How would, how would, and, and it's, we had this conversation, this exact question that you just asked to we like, we, we talked to this out and I, I won't go into all of the details, but yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's it's very it's very individualized for each person it depends on mm-hmm. the circumstances it depends on you know who who your daughter or my daughter at this point would be you know if she was still i think at this point violet was in the ninth grade maybe i can't remember i think she was like a freshman in high school or, uh, at that point because she she says something like i was a baby who fantasized about ba- having babies so i i can't quite remember Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it's going to affect 16, 16. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, there are so many factors. Would I be the parent that Chris was talking about? That's the cliche in all of the movies. That's like, Oh, you what? And you're not married and blah, blah, blah. I don't think I would be quite that, but I, I, I would like to hope that I would sit down and have Maybe, maybe the precursor to the conversation that Violet experienced with her dad, you know, well, how do you feel about this and where what are your thoughts and how do you want to uh, proceed with this? Because Violet even talked about that she thought about going to Planned Parenthood uh, and and taking care of things without anybody knowing that she thought mm-hmm. she could discreetly go and and it wouldn't be an issue. Um, you know, so so she had obviously thought about taking certain uh decisions and courses and and things and uh you know I, I I would hope that my relationship with my daughter is strong enough that I could have that conversation with her and and talk through it. But um it's again it's just it it, it speaks to almost everything in this book that I read about Harold. I want to hold a mirror up to now and just sort of like, how would Harold have reacted in this situation? Why am I being such a dick about something right now? Like Harold would have been like, whatever, dude. Uh, it's what
4: would Harold do.
2: What would Harold do? Exactly. Uh, how, yeah, there, how would you what he was saying? There's a pin
4: proton pins needs to make. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> yes. What, would Harold, what yeah. would Harold do? What would
2: Harold do? What would Harold do? I listening? would like
4: to see a two sided thing, with the five minute Buddhist on one side and on the back, just what would Harold do? Yes, what would Harold do? Yes,
3: <laughs> it's a bit much for a
4: pin, but maybe yeah. a
2: t-shirt. I mean, the five minute uh, yeah, the, a, the laminated be five one minute Buddhist
4: big pin.
2: <laughs> actually,
0: the girl from Proton Pins makes those really cool hand drawn postcards.
4: Oh, oh there see you there go. you go.
2: It could be a postcard with the five minute Buddhist, and then yeah,
3: um, I would love to know where the five minute Buddhist was when I was actually studying religion at university but uh I mean, <laughs> it's, it's
2: distilled so well and that's actually why i made yeah. it a speaking point for us because when i read that i was like I, this was what this is buddhism i i
4: didn't know that um but uh but yes know, so, can you imagine compressing all religion down to this this would be amazing it
2: would be fantastic and and not for evangelical purposes or not for i mean
4: it, just I, basics. Just, just let basics. it out. This is what it's about.
2: And you don't have to be a Buddhist to, to read this. And like, what, what what in your life is making you happy?
4: Are you achieving happiness? five-minute Buddhist. You're okay.
2: Yeah. It's you're all okay. You're okay. I kind of wish the I had one minutes. of those laminated. Uh, you're
4: sorry. You're going to be sorry. It's a five-minute
3: Buddhist. I read it at uh, twice the speed, so it only took <laughs> half the time. It's really <laughs> <cute>. <laughs> I got, got a real, got a real open mind out
2: of it. Well played, Chris I Stewart. A, I, got well played. I got a real enlightenment out of it.
3: Got a real enlightenment.
2: You want I come achieved in for mineral water or
3: something? <laughs> Low sodium mineral water. <laughs>
2: do you want to come in for meditation or something? Well, uh, so all right. So here's here's the we're we're coming up on an hour and twenty minutes, and I I promised that I would try to keep us succinct. So we do have a few other topics Too to late. talk about. Um, we, five minute Buddhist, we just talked about, but also, um, we, we do need to get into the details of, of Harold's death and then some conclusion stuff here. But, uh, w- one thing that I was particularly interested in, what struck me, what I, I kind of latched onto as I was reading and, and especially given the conversation that happened in the last book club where some people were on the fence about Seth Rogan's Forward. They didn't understand why Seth Rogen was talking about Harold. Uh, there were plenty of other people that were close to him that should have written a forward for this book. Uh, reading the knocked up section, um, because uh, for all of the other film, like the, the, the chapters that are film based, you know, multiplicity uh, here, it was Harold's uh, take on uh, splitting personalities and looking back on it, it was kind of cliche. When, when Violet gets into talking about knocked up, she sort of sees it. And I think explains it as, uh, her dad getting a a mulligan, like getting a do over. She, she explains that she sees Harold sitting down with Seth Rogen, having a conversation that was very similar to one that she had that we were just talking about. And, and Harold's reaction is what he wanted to say, what he probably should have said and and he's kind of trying to re- maybe redeem himself a little bit for that second pregnancy and the way that he reacted. So, um, so having read that chapter, uh, and then and keeping in mind that some people were kind of like ah the Seth Rogan forward whatever, uh, did did it change your viewpoint as to why Seth Rogan kicked off this book? Was was Seth Rogan sort of a surrogate son that we get to see? like a, a, an alternate universe of Violet's uh, perspective uh, through the magic of film. Did, did you guys get that same impression?
0: It makes more sense now why that was, he was chosen because of his experience in that movie and their quick real show of relationship in that movie. It makes more sense now.
4: Well, it's also me. something you need to read the book, right? Like, mm-hmm. and again, we will come at this with our own biases, I am sure everybody would love a forward by Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd. Oh, well, sure, yeah. Right, but at the same time, ultimately, this is her story to tell and this is her perspective. And if she feels that Seth Rogen in this movie had the right moment to really personify when she fully understood as an adult her father as an adult. That is that is a powerful message because she's saying Seth Rogan got to be if Chevy Chase in Family Vacation is Harold Ramis' version of what a dad should be giving his son the best vacation. Harold Ramis in Knocked Up is Violet Ramis' idea of what a dad should be talking to his son.
1: Yeah. Yeah
2: and 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 i think it's made especially more poignant because this is happening she just had uh keon i think is her son's name but so so she's looking at it through that lens of how her dad reacted to her saying she was pregnant and she was going to keep the baby and then seeing that ad-libbed sequence where even even phrases and you know uh yeah uh, no pills no powders if it comes out of the ground it's probably going to be okay something that Harold said directly to Violet as a kid. So she's, she's seeing her dad speak to this, this, um, uh, uh you know, uh, like, like an, uh, an avatar of her on the screen. Um, and I, I feel like it's, it's even more poignant because this happens. It's like 2007 that this movie comes out 2009, uh, year one comes out, uh, and, and doesn't do that well. And then shortly after that, he gets sick, you know, they have that, that last supper and, and, and he gets v- very ill and she doesn't really get to talk to her dad anymore. So it it's like, I, f- I feel like Violet has encapsulated that scene from knocked up as like, that's my dad. Like you were just saying, Bradley, like that, that is the idealized version of my father. And if anybody wants to know what my dad was like, take a look at that scene. Like that's, that's kind of what I took away from it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a powerful thing. Uh, I think I mentioned last time about having a hero uh, that's on film that is always the same, that is always there and as good as the first time, and it's so easy to idolize that person and forget that they are a person. But there can also be very positive things, especially if someone has already passed, because you can then memorialize someone. And memorialize what they stood for in the same way, and as long as that movie exists for the Ramus family for Violet, there is her father that she can then kind of share with the world and say, if you always if you missed meeting my dad, if you always wanted to, here this is it. yeah, yeah.
3: It's not even heavily idealized either, because as we learned in the book. He incorporated stuff that he talked to his kids about into that same conversation. It was all improv, right? So he was was all improv. But yeah, he was drawn on it. exactly. He was drawn on his the the, you know no pills. Was it no pills? No powders. Yeah. No pills. No powders. No. What was it? No needles. No. Something like that. But yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, he was riffing on the stuff that he talked to his kids about. Um, So I, I kind of see why. I don't know. I kind of thought about this too. Like why, why I, I wasn't against it. I didn't think it was weird. I was just trying to figure out exactly why it, it turned out to be him. And kind of what And we'll never quite know. Cause sometimes this comes down to a publisher going, well, we can probably get in touch with these five people, which, you know, who do you want? To, who do you think it should be? Or we reached out to five and these are the two that said they had the time to do it or whatever. We, you never really know for sure. But I think, it's kind of without, you know, claiming we, we know what violence mind is. It's kind of two things. One was, um, she's written a book about, here's what I learned from my dad. And compared to everybody else that knew him, like the bigger names and stuff like that, even, um, Judd Apatow, uh, uh, Judd Apatow was essentially a well-established writer, director and all that. So, whereas, um, Seth Rogen, you know, he even said himself, idolized him and learned from him. So she's got a book like, here's what I learned from my dad. And the opening word is Seth Rogen, here's what I learned from her dad. And if you kind of want to f- kind of get a, a little bit weird about it's that, you know, he he idolized uh, Harold. And I think if you look at it, I kind of wonder if Harold didn't look at him and go, wow, he kind of reminds me of me. You know, oh, he's, a, yeah. he's a smart, funny kid who... Um, you know, ambitious, uh writes, you know, wants to direct produce and all this and and then to <laughs> cap it all off. Do you like weed? Really? Do like weed too? Awesome. <laughs> you are kind yeah. of like me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um I don't I mean and this is I'm I'm free associating here. I I just just came up with this now, so uh bear with me. But I almost wonder if this is almost like the end of Groundhog Day for Harold as well, because Knowing that he tried he tried one approach with Violet, and he saw how that worked out. Then he had mm-hmm. Julian and Daniel, and he saw how that worked out in terms of being a dad and and the parenting style that he used with them. Yep. Um, uh, with Molly, he was involved with her upbringing, <laughs> but you know later on in her life. And then yep. uh, I is it Ida Ada. Um, they're,
3: uh, yeah, I got it wrong. I said a Maya, but it's, uh, it's, uh, uh,
2: the exchange student ah. who comes over and, and basically <laughs> no. becomes their daughter. Uh, so he, a, yeah. he, he, raises her as well. Um, you know, I, I, I can't help, but be reminded of groundhog day where you try something. It doesn't work. You try it again. It doesn't work again. Like it, that trial and error. And to the point where he's a filmmaker, he's a storyteller. He knows that he can now control x amount of variables in his life when he's making a movie um i wonder how much of that was him sort of showing that last you know phil connor's uh at the end of groundhog day when he knows he's got to go save the kid from falling from the tree and he's going to go pump the tires for the ladies in the car and he's like that's that's me as a father that's what i want to be and that's what i want to show to
3: people can i twist on yours just a, a little bit Sure,
2: oh yeah, please. I I,
3: I think you're completely in in the 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 right area. The thing about Groundhog Day, it was and this is very much about, you know, Buddhism and and reincarnation and all that. It's it wasn't so much about what you couldn't could not control. That came up a little bit in a message there with like the the homeless guy and all that. You can't control everything. But the whole thing was about doing it again and again and again until you, you improve and you get it. To where it needs to be, sort of thing, so you're right. every time he it wasn't that I tried this, it didn't work, try again it's it's that he got to the end of all these you know these children raising all these children, both you know biological and not. and you know in this one little scene, then it was a a, a taste of him synthesizing then, like you said. And then you go pump the brakes and then you go do this. And then you, you know, you got some spare time, you improve yourself and learn some piano. And then at the end, everything works out. Yeah. This is, this is how you kind of bring it all together. Sort of thing. And I mean, it's nice. It, it puts a nice little poetic twist on it. I, I, I think you're to something. Like
2: that. Yeah. Life, life imitating wow. art, art imitating life. Uh, and, and knowing how personal his movies were when he was choosing to do things like multiplicity yeah. and bedazzled and ice harvest and year one. and,
3: and that one, over all others, is the
2: – he
3: – again, we have to kind of read between the lines and there's no real way to prove it sort of thing. But as proud as he w- was of the ones that worked early on, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, et cetera, and as kind of sad as he was about the ones that didn't quite work, they were all group efforts and he 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 knew it was a group effort. Not that Groundhog Day wasn't, but Groundhog Day is the – like. So all those other movies, he just kind of did the best he could. And, you know, he, people had input and, like, the test screenings that he kind of changed things on. Like, I'm sitting there going, what if you had left that ending in? For ice harvest, would critics yeah. have kind of responded a little bit better? But he, the studio was obviously going, mm, no, 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 and he went, yeah, okay, sure, and tweaked it. Yeah, and what if
2: you left the Sid and Nancy thing in Bedazzled, where they were yeah. junkies uh, on the verge of overdose? Uh, it was yeah, a little that, edgier. That, yeah,
3: <laughs> exactly. Well, but but Groundhog Day is the one obviously he felt most about, uh, and I think that's come up in his talks and stuff like that too, is because it's the one he felt most strongly about. He Broke up his bromance with Bill Murray over, like they locked horns over what it was supposed to be, and you know that's that's passion, right? He obviously really had an idea about what because they and he said they were arguing over the tone, meaning Bill thought it should be one thing, and Harold was like it is this, and it was he put his foot down. A guy who was fairly laid back about everything else, put and very big on collaboration, and he knew how to. A writer, but also work with improvers and he made a movie where he dug in so hard he ended up not talking to his best friend for twenty plus years. So yeah,
2: he he dug in, and uh, it was deeply he personal is. to him. You could tell. Okay. Yeah,
3: that was so. If you want
2: to
4: learn about Harold Ramis, just watch a lot of Groundhog Day because obviously just watch his
2: movies. Yeah, that's that's what I take My away goodness. from the book. Watch his movies.
4: Solange, I think we unlocked the the philosophical side of the parents. <laughs> you did. I clearly, beautiful. Uh, we try our job is we done. have Bye our guys. moments. We have our moments. Um, did, you, well, did you ever see touch like a touch like an angel? That's a different movie. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I've seen that one. So different. I, um, touched
0: by an angel.
2: Yeah. Uh,
4: that Should one touched by
3: an angel.
0: Yeah. I yes. did a couple extra. It's I did like a couple. Uh, they used to film it here. Actually, I did a couple stints as an extra on a couple episodes when I was a kid. There you
4: go. Were you touched very by an familiar with the show? No, I was. She never... was the angel
2: she still is oh see then you but say yeah, stuff that like that and redeem in yourself in that show
0: they get to do over well in that show yeah they get they, they die unfortunately they die and then they get to come back at a certain turning point in their life as another person and change the outcome
2: try to make things right yeah yeah Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to put it in that lens and, and knowing, I mean, knowing where things are about to take a turn to, which we'll, we'll start talking about here in a second, but I guess it's, it's a lot easier to go back and look at a body of work or look at on screen appearances or some things that people have said and, and analyze them in that way. But, um. Well, uh, all right. So here, here's what I'm going to do, uh, because this is a very difficult subject to get into. I'm going to make somebody else do it. Um, Jacob from the circle city ghostbusters is going to get us into talking about the, Hi, end Jacob. Of the book here. Uh, so here's, here's Jacob.
5: The question about if it was the first we'd heard about the circumstances of Harold's death and everything like, I, I mean, I knew that he had passed away from vasculitis. um, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was so drawn out. Um, it really kind of paralleled, uh, the, the death of my, my grandfather. He had, uh, had Parkinson's. And so his, you know, the memories began to kind of go away over time. And he, you know, he, he couldn't do things he used to be able to do. And it was really frustrating for him. And it, uh, you know, so reading all this, it was, it was really hard to read it actually because it kind of took me back to that. And also just even thinking about the day Harold Ramus passed away. I. Had, I remember reading about it, I was at work and I just, you know, you're at work you're at a desk in a cubicle in an office and you can't like burst into tears and cry on someone's shoulder because a guy from a, the, from your favorite movie died, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. But you know, it's, I, I remember at the time I had said, it felt like I'd lost an uncle or something that it was, it was that big of an impact because he had that kind of an impact on my life and, and probably all of our lives if you're listening to a, ghostbusters podcast but it's you know it was it was tough it was tough to read that and but it you know i got a good cry out of it kids came and gave me a big hug so i got through it and it was it was an interesting read on how to deal with something like that and with somebody going through something like that it's definitely tough on them for sure and everyone around them and yeah it was just sad so um anywho uh, i think that's all i got for this one um I enjoy your podcast, of course, and look forward to listening to it tomorrow.
2: Bye, guys. All right. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jacob, for that. Um, yeah, I mean, that and, and, and I alluded to it earlier. I think a few of us feel the same way that when we got that news in February that he had passed, a lot of us didn't know that he was even sick um, and and had no idea that it had been a year Multiple years of of process of of slow deterioration and and even kind of going back to his his Violet's grandfather, his father passing away, which I I feel also was kind of a catalyst for him, kind of going into a funk and being very depressed and and uh, not being his usual self. Um, It that that was all very sort of shocking to me, very surprising and, and very out of character based upon everything that we had sort of read to this point about Harold. Um, so I don't, I mean, uh, this is, I know this is tough to ask of the room. Um, but you know, for everybody, was this the first that you had heard about the circumstances of Harold's death? Uh, when you read this, how did it make you feel? Um, and, and I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot to go first. So whoever, whoever wants to speak first, please, please speak up.
0: Um, I can go, I have no problem. Um, I think kind of going back to when we all found out that he had passed away and this and what it was from, again, vasculitis is not something that has a lot of research, um, done for it. And we've raised money for a vasculitis society in the past, but, we were kind of like, okay, so he passed away. Clearly there was something that was ailing him, but for how long we don't know, like it. And I think her actually showing us and telling us like he was, you know, in pain, he suffered for quite some time. Just, it makes it a little bit more hard to swallow. Like it's hard enough to swallow that this person who we idolize and, and and have seen in our life whether it be directing or on camera for so long had to go through so much turmoil in the last couple years of his life it was um it was it, it was a little unsettling but it was nice to kind of get that information yeah to be mm-hmm. out of the dark
1: and
2: yeah uh, i feel like the, uh, was there any Part of you, Solange, that felt like I wish I I would have known, so there could have been more of an outpouring of of support or, of um, of reassurance. Because I mean, in in the book, Violet does talk about that some of his closest friends, um, including somebody who I was close to, that I sent an email to, and I was like, oh my god, I had no idea. Um, yeah. That that they visited him on a daily basis, and if he maybe would have gotten. Uh, some sort of, um, you know, not, not an outpouring of love and support and, and gratitude, but if people would have known and he would have had some sort of a support system from the fans that adored him or from, you know, the, the collaborators that he'd worked with in the past that had no idea that this was happening. I, I don't know that it necessarily would have changed the outcome, but would it have eased his time while he was, especially leading up to being in hospice care? Do you think that would have it's, changed things?
0: It, it's it's hard to say because literally that would have to come from him. Like he would yeah. have had yeah. to tell us like why I would have felt better or, or I would have, you know.
4: We uh, don't know where the gag order really came from. Like he could have yeah. been all on board with it. Yeah. It could
0: have been. Yeah, it could have been a personal thing. And yeah, maybe having those familiar faces around to help support his family during that time would have been a little bit more easy to swallow for them and maybe for him too. But ultimately I, I don't know. We don't know. Cause we c- can't ask him having, um, having a, f- a close family member who passed away from a terminal illness relatively quickly and having, you know, to be one of those people who tell someone cause that person didn't want other people to know like, Hey, I know we talked about this person yesterday, but I just have to let you know that they passed away last night. Damn. Um, it's 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 them it's personal preference i i prime example david bowie no one knew he had cancer maybe a fair few yeah. people it's it's hard it's hard to say you don't know
2: well, and is part of it wanting to be remembered because jacob talked about it with his grandfather passing from parkinsons that wanting to remember that person the way that they were before this all occurs because he wasn't himself he wasn't his usual yeah. jovial uh, even keeled joking around self even even to the point where it sounded like he was starting to get combative with nurses and things that were completely outside of his character um, yeah. I, I wonder how much of that wherever the gag order occurred I wonder if that was part of it too like you have these wonderful memories you know, of him keep, keep those in your mind we don't want you to see the side of him
0: yeah like I said like I had I've had the experience with a family member passing away from a, a rather you know quick terminal illness and they weren't in the best of shape when they passed away, and leading up to that day, they it was a it was a cr- really quick deterioration. I remember seeing this person going through that, but that doesn't it doesn't taint the memories that I have of them, the good ones. So I don't know. I, I mean, it. I don't. I. Anytime I think of that person, it's always the good memories. I never remember them lying in their in their deathbed or yeah. or it's always the good ones, always. So I think I it's, it's you as a person. What you want to remember of that, if really, if the only thing that sticks in your mind is their last leg of life, I think there's something that you need to search in you as a person and be like, why is that the one thing that I remember the most? Why can't I focus on those those good times? It's it's that's a little bit of a deeper personal question for yourself. If that's the lasting memory that you have of that loved one,
3: yeah. Although another angle to to look at here is we're strangers. Like, that too? We really, what, why does it matter whether we think we should have known earlier or not? Like, oh, True. It's, yeah. it's 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 kind of not up to us. It, not only that, you kind of wandered too far down that path that it turns into why do we feel entitled
2: to that? Like that's,
0: well, it's not one of us. Like, it's not like we have the cure in our back pocket for him. There's really no. nothing.
2: Well, and, and the average show would have done for him. I mean, and not, not for us as the, the enta- entitled fans. Um, but more so for, because we talked about it earlier. Us, Bill the Murray, yeah. Well, and and if Bill Murray didn't know until his brother had called him and said, Hey, did you know Harold is really sick and not in Chicago right now? You should probably go find him and visit him. Uh, yeah. You know, pe- people that were close to him, people that knew him, um, you know, because it's it's very like it's it's very that the list of people that she mentions that went to go visit him when he was in care in Was it New Mexico? Where did he go to? It was New Mexico, right?
3: It was a number of places. One yeah. was uh, the Mayo Clinic. Was it Massachusetts? Massachusetts.
2: Or? And then I think he eventually ends up in either Arizona or, or New Mexico. But 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 the list of people that visit him, and then you think of all of the close friends that he has and still had, that weren't on that list, and you go, oh, I wonder if they even knew. I wonder if they knew that their close friend was was having such a tough time. Um, it could also yeah. be
0: what those people people were, you know, comfortable with facing. Right.
4: Yeah. I'd, I mean, like, it's nothing. Nothing is going to make something worse than being unable to function without being stopped every five seconds saying I'm so sorry about this about your father, about your husband and I wish him the best because I'm sure there were points in this where the family was like we know and we're dealing with it and if I was being stopped all the time to recognize that with someone else it would be far worse
1: yeah
3: yeah, especially since that even even if the public does know, they don't know everything. So you end up with those those random bad lucks of running into somebody who's all chipper and it's like, I hope he's doing well and I know he's gonna get better. And that morning you found out things took a a, a yeah. bad dive and you're like, that 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 may be misguided
4: yeah, or even, just worse. even worse. Can you imagine? It. Could you imagine updates on, like, TMZ or something? Oh, yeah. Like, every five minutes, the death watch on a poor man? Oh. That How terrible would that be? It's so tasteless. That, both, it's for, so... both for the family and for everyone else, right? But that is probably what would have happened. They yeah. would have had segments going Ghostbusters star ill Right. Yeah. As much as we cl- would look at it. And
1: yeah.
4: Yeah. As much as we would have looked at it and been like, we want to show nothing but love and support for him and his family, and we just want to let him know and his family how much he, his yeah. work has meant to us. There is any number of people who would also take that same information for clickbait and articles and just watch it live at five stuff.
3: I, part of me i mean going by the date she has in here he was sick for four years
4: it was quite a
2: while that that was shocking to me i had yeah. yeah
3: and and admittedly for the early part they were working towards him getting better and back to work and all that and just as a small aside i you know think the powers that be or the universe or fate or whatever you want to call it that by my reckoning that window where he kind of got a little bit better and was kind of up and around like not 100%, but was actually kind of back at it sort of thing, I get a feeling that's the window that the Buenos managed to get in an interview.
2: Him. Oh, oh and that, had, that makes it, a whole lot of sense. yeah
3: if you if you think about it then that means the timing one way or the other and we may never. By the way, to the Buenos one more time. That man has a school named after him, and I'm pretty sure there's probably I don't know an archive of his stuff. Send those tapes, send them that tape, Yeah, and send them to that archive. But um, m- my thinking is nobody knows how long the you know these slow, especially since early on they thought it was you know there's a chance it could turn around, and then later on had to deal with the fact that it was slowly getting worse. Like, yeah. And in, in in all the ways you don't want things to get worse, and I've, I've gone through this myself too, where it starts out with a little thing, and you try to deal with the little thing, and because mm-hmm. you're dealing with that, something else tips over, and then something else tips over. So they had to take him off the one medication, and that flared up his vasculitis, and then that led to so-and-so. And by the end, he's just so worn out and beat that as you're trying to you know fight one fire – it's turning into you know cascading seizures and stuff like that, and it's, and and with those, you don't know how long it's going to take, and what. In thinking about this, I mean, if somebody had to ask, oh, maybe we should have known earlier. Nah, because as as you you know as fans, as as, as a, a population, as society, we would have initially went, oh no, terrible. I hope he feels better. What can we do, etc. And a year goes by, and I hope he, how is he doing? And two years and three years, and and nobody's talking about it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, mm. we, we're not good at sustained. How are things going? Hell, we can't even do it in our own lives. Most of the time, let alone people that we don't really know sort of thing. So as abrupt and as sudden and as, as terrible as it was, it's one thing for the family. Cause they, they're there. They have to experience the four years and things getting worse and all that. That's awful. And then to kinda of have this initial outpouring of love and then everything goes silent. It's just like uh I th- I think it's better off that they, you know, they did their best, they struggled their best. And and I like to think that they got an idea that it's not like we never stopped loving the guy and his work and all that. Every we were still talking about his stuff and I think again when he was back on his feet it was one of those periods where there's a couple of interviews like on um uh, slash film and things like that, where he did some interviews and, and, and things like that. And we were all like, that's great. And we we're talking about him. We love his stuff. And so they know that he has fans. That never changed. And then it gets to the end, and, and, you know, the inevitable happens. And that's, again, because it was so sudden, it just was a deafening roar. And it was an unusual one because Harold Ramis is not, I don't know who you'd want to liken it to. Like, uh, <laughs> terrible Michael Jackson yeah like it's terrible to try to put celebrities David Bowie on the scale, yeah. but In yeah Napoleon
1: like Prince. Yeah.
3: Prince David Bowie uh, Michael Jackson all this ah, tears and rending and uh, you wouldn't have expected that necessarily he he would have gotten the reaction he did his death would have gotten that reaction and but it did though and it was it was days if not you know what I mean like it just went on and on of people responding to it and reacted to it and trying to deal with it and all that and so I, I, have
0: a, I have a quick question before I lose it did any one of you three have to tell somebody like tell a fan that he had passed away
4: yep
3: uh, I'm trying to think I don't think I did I I had a lot more people reach out to me actually And yeah, that comes from the, the fact same. that we're on We're you guys are in the the beginning of the new cycle time zone we're yeah. at the end of it meaning by the time yeah. we woke up that morning yeah I mean, you guys have been jabbering away for quite some time and people were reaching out it i me. think that I, went I, into, I was the same way i went way. into work that day i went into work that day and the team looked at me and said did you want to take the day off and i was like oh. no like but yeah. that was very sweet of them like they 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 had all heard by the time I came in and, and knew that it was going to be a bad day all around. I
0: was I was at my my job. I used to be a Starbucks barista, and I wore a black um, ribbon with my Ghostbuster logo pin on. Uh, sorry, black ribbon, yeah, on my apron. And I was serving a customer, and he was like, "Oh, I like your Ghostbuster pin. Why are you wearing that?" And I had to tell him, like, oh, the actor who played Egon, the guy who helped write the movie, passed away and just watched his face go white as mm. I passed him his latte.
2: Oh, no. Yep. And
0: having, like, that normal interaction with someone who normally would be just like, okay, bye, have a good day, and just kind of have to sit there and be like, here's your drink. I'm so sorry um, I didn't yeah. want to tell you this.
4: Mm. And,
0: and, and I- that was...
4: go ahead and finish finish i I
0: was gonna say that kind of goes into what we were talking what we were just talking about is um we didn't for the type of celebrity or persona that he was you wouldn't think he would have such an impact but even just some dude who bought a coffee from me i just i ruined his day essentially i think i feel kind of bad about it so random dude if you're listening, I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> but good, good that he knew so that he could, yeah. you know... Uh... He's been staying up late nights ever since then.
0: <laughs>
4: Just that one barista. What? I'll yeah. never forget. The bear of bad news. The That's harbinger hard. of um, bad news. Yeah. I also... I'm sorry, go ahead, was, I, I, I'm a fencing instructor, so I had the very unique perspective of when it happened multiple parents coming up to me, uh, much like Solange, I had my Ghostbusters pin on with like a little uh, black ribbon on it and multiple parents coming up saying, we heard, we're sorry, and are you okay? And what's going on with you? And at one point it definitely got to the point where personally I felt like I know, you, you don't have to tell me, I'm aware. Thank you but I'm not quite ready to deal with it yet, or at least in a public fashion such as that. Yeah. But when the kids asked and I told them, the reaction was actually a little bit uh, sombering uh, as well as meditative because many of them just didn't know. They had perhaps never seen Ghostbusters. They had perhaps... Uh, just didn't have that emotional register with it, right? And it made me feel very... It, it really kind of took me out of myself because I could see, like, well, yeah, this is a lot to me, but to them, it's life goes on. And and to them, this is... all things shall pass. Even if they didn't know him, they will sympath- they sympathize, but it's not as emotionally, as emotionally devastating to them. So perhaps looking at it in a grander, even more five-minute Buddhist sort of way, uh, we all return to the place we came from in the end.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the five-minute Buddhist too, I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Violet had a son named Harold. Uh, whatever it yep. was, like th- th- two, three years uh, after he had passed, too. That um, uh, I think a year after. A year. When it, yeah, it was. It was short. Shortly thereafter, shortly I, I remember after. she was struggling with the the fact. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, God, uh, amazing comments, everybody. That was that was really. <sighs> uh, everybody
4: crying yet? Everybody good? Get everybody weeping now? Get yeah. Tissues. We're all good pack pack pack. Well, so pack, pack, yeah. pack pack. pack.
2: <laughs> let's 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 uh let's Shut up. You're let's try. Let's get on a happier a happier more uh, optimistic note here to to end on things, but I, um, I
3: specifically saved uh, happy notes by the way for the final thoughts. Oh so good. I'll okay. Oh good.
2: Well, so so maybe what we'll do is uh before before the patented final thoughts, let's just uh for everybody in the room, um let's talk about what you what you're, what you'll take from this book, what you'll utilize in your own life, um, because I feel like there's so much, so, so many things that we can hold a mirror up to ourselves with, with these, with these uh, anecdotes that Violet has been kind enough to provide us with, um, so many personal stories that obviously affected her, affected the people around her. Um, she she really did a wonderful job to encapsulate who Harold was uh, outside of the public eye, which was all that I could have asked for. The book was. Just I, I wanted to get a sense of who he was, uh, and and not to a, a nosy TMZ p- a point of, you know, knowing what he ate for breakfast and things like that. But just getting a sense of the person that he was, uh, outside of of and being in front of the camera and, and when he's being interviewed and things like that. But um, so uh, maybe. Um, uh briley let's let's start with you just in terms of of things that you will take from the book things that you will uh utilize uh advice that you may heed from this point moving forward.
4: Sticky notes are a cheap but effective way to mark passages <laughs> and ideas, and I suggest everyone use them.
2: brings me back to uh, my college
4: days
1: yes <laughs> um
4: i so there I didn't I mentioned last time there is a favorite quote from the book that was you no, know, not in the first 100 pages. Right. I was and hoping I you would mention that. Yeah. Now is the time I feel because we're running out of it and if I don't I say it now I can hear
0: the sticky notes as you flip the page.
4: <laughs> Thank you. There is quite a lot. Uh so 224 I'm not going to say that you're the hope of the future that it's up to you to save the world it's up to all of us but I think you have to do good wherever and whenever you can there's a lovely Buddhist belief that says we owe infinite gratitude to the past infinite service to the present and infinite responsibility to the future and I think that's as beautiful and concise a thing as you could say
2: yeah can you can you imagine being a graduate and getting that advice from somebody like Harold Ramis that I mean I would hope I that you really like that,
4: that there's two I actually really like that there's two speeches and that you can see the evolution of his thought yeah a thought process in it um it wasn't I wasn't a young man when I realized that you could give a speech more than once like it <laughs> i I was much older when I realized wait a minute, you could give speeches more than once and perfect them and think them through and make them better my god, that's going to save me so much time uh, but to see that and to read it through it is such a well thought out passage and it, it's like the kind of thing you you want to be told that's the thing you want to be told as a young person going out into the world and it's like do good do good out there <laughs> Yeah, damn it <laughs> Be do a good, good person things. and do
2: good things. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, other than that, I uh, I especially like something. It's kind of it's kind of remarked upon in Go- the Ghostbusters two passage, uh, where she's talking about Bobby Brown, but he responds, uh, "Why don't you? Well, then, why don't you pretend that he's like every other person you meet?" Because he is.
2: Because he is, yeah.
4: And I think that's something we often forget in this crazy, hectic, celebrity news cycle sort C- of world we live certainly, in.
3: Certainly Bobby forgot
4: it and probably should have had a refresher or <laughs> something <laughs> <bit>. at, <laughs> at some point there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he probably could have used the whole no powder, no pills thing, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on, really? Harold, where are we on that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that's a beautiful, those are beautiful statements. Those yeah. are beautiful Those are great
2: things to take with you. Absolutely. I mean, that's and, that, that, that passage from his commencement speech is something that is worthy to be printed out and put on a wall just to sort of see every day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, print,
4: it, did you, did you
0: print it out, Troy? Uh,
2: I have, but I is might. Is it on your wall? I might. I, I will, <laughs> I will say that the book is now on my nightstand at all times, but, it's replaced um, the Bible. It has. Re- <laughs>
4: the
1: Bible is never it, there. Who am I kidding?
4: <laughs> <laughs> they replaced the joy of sex.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, never. Get... <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, that's uh, what, uh, but Solange, how about yourself? What, in terms of what you'll be taking from the book and, and, and applying to your own life?
0: So I talked about it in the last episode about how um, I try to, live my life relatively similar to that ideology already of not to sweat the big stuff or not to sweat the small stuff. Sorry. It's like almost three o'clock in the morning here. Pardon. <laughs> I know. I'm so um, sorry. Well we're, try- we're trying to wrap it up. It's well past three. I don't sweat the small stuff and I don't try to have so much control over my life as some people think that they should. Um, and that works really well for me. And I think that he kind of already did that himself in a way, like again, a, going back to her telling him that they're pregnant and then having to deal with it and and how he was relatively calm about the whole situation so it's definitely I want to continue to do that I definitely want to um, share this book with a lot of people who wouldn't I don't think necessarily would pick it up Um, I've definitely recommended it to a bunch of other people at work and be like no seriously you have to read it trust me it's not just me being a weird ghostbuster freak Like you actually need to read it like it's good um And I think we started our own little book club there. But there's a lot of knowledge that he's given me that I want to pass on to others and be like, guess where I got it from?
4: Yeah, you'd never guess, Egon. So we'll see. To be we'll fair, we might guess.
0: <laughs> you guys might guess, and anyone else who might listen to this. But I, I, I don't think anyone else in my life would guess.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge rich book and. I'm going to take away a lot of things and apply them in my own life. i get that five minute Buddhist
2: like printed in my wallet. Print it out. Yeah. yeah. And laminate it. You got to make sure it's laminated yeah. just yeah, to make yeah, him yeah. proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it, it is. It's tough to kind of distill it down to just one succinct uh, thing. But um, yeah, Chris, Chris, did you want to go? Or did you want to save it for your, uh, your final thought here on the, on the flip side?
3: I can do both, but I'll be fast. Cause I know it's getting quite late. The one thing that I want to do now is, like pretty much everybody at this point, I wanna stare a little bit more at the, the five minute Buddhism because what I kind of interested in doing is to see if I can go back through it and with what little I remember from university is to to see if I could parse the bits of Harold's life that she shared here, if I can like line up bits example wise, so I can turn the five minute Buddhism into the Tao of Harold. I think that would be
1: Oh man. That would be kinda of cool. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah.
3: You, you can Bit of an undertaking, but I'll get there.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's possible. I think it's definitely doable because when you Talk read that five minute Buddhist, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tao of Harold, the Tao of Harold, uh, yeah, you, uh, yeah. So I'll 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 uh, conclude us here, and then we'll get into uh, Chris's final thought. But um, I. I I think one of the things that I will take away from the book among many, like Solange, I, f- I feel like it's tough to just pinpoint it down to one, but it was the antidote to the, um, the cheesecake factory story where, um, you know, she had mentioned this moment of vanity that she felt was entirely outside of her father's character. And to the point where he had, uh, his, his assistant call very Ferris Bueller style and say, I'm looking for Held Ramus. He's very important. Is he there? Um, And and there's that moment. But then right on the tail end of that, she talks about how the last things that Harold had done, some of the last emails that he had sent from the hospital um, were were generous emails that he was trying to make people move forward, trying to help other people, trying to pay things forward around him. Um, you know, to to the point where and, and I've seen it with with other colleagues that I've encountered along the way where I just I wish that I was more like that, where he was he was looking out for everybody. He was looking out for his daughter, Violet. He was looking out for this uh, person who is a good friend's daughter who was looking for a job. I think it was. Um, and and just he he was he was being selfless, even though the fact that he is lying in a hospital bed things are not looking that great for him. Um, and he is still trying to advance uh, other people and help other people. And, uh, that to me, like that amount of generosity and selflessness is something that I I really want to, to just try to, to be more like, especially here in LA and, and in Hollywood and, everybody is so self-absorbed and we've all got Instagrams and Twitters and things that we're self-promoting ourselves. And we're just trying to advance to get more followers and likes and things like that. It's, it's become so to a point where I think people have lost track of, you know, Hey, that person over there is just getting started and they need help. Um, give, give them a hand. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to try to to do that uh, more often. And, and as I've said in previous episodes, like this is my parenting manual now. So, um, hopefully (laughs) whatever Hazel comes up with, I'm just going to find reference in here. Maybe I'll, I'll adapt Briley's, uh, post-it notes and have like, when Hazel uh, does this, read this passage, you know, but do um, like
4: me, Troy, do away with your Twitter account and only accidentally sign up to Instagram. You're far simpler in ignorance. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah stump stumble into it yeah oh god if only
4: don't wait another minute pick up your phone and call the professionals go, 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 go stoppers.
1: stoppers i'm sorry we'll do it again
2: we want to hear from you leave
3: us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742 that's 4702-GBHQIC we also have a facebook page and twitter accounts is dead.
0: Uh, no kidding just the
3: address. Search Facebook for The Ghostbusters. Interdimensional Rip. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want
1: to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you
3: like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That
2: makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals.
3: Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC.
5: That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Good
4: Now, I was wondering, could I perhaps ask Chris his final thoughts? Yeah, uh,
2: please, by all means. Oh, my goodness. I'd, I'd love Absolutely. for some here. I I turn the stage to you, sir.
4: Oh, thank you so much. All right, Chris, now that we got rid of the American, let's talk candidly about a <laughs> boot stuff, okay? okay. <laughs> so uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts there, boy? I got, I got a few of them. I'll go through them quick. One,
3: uh, I want to say, uh, good job, eh? On oh, the thank cat, you. On the cat came back joke, I know uh, Troy's Merrigan, He didn't get it, but the rest of us did. That was a that was a good reference there. Oh, thanks, man. Okay, uh, came shout up with
4: that at the donut shop.
3: Shout, shout out to the Canada Canada Film Board. All right. Uh, uh, I also <laughs> uh, in his uh, in, in his speech, I got a good laugh out of the stuff he remembered from school, from going to college, and I had a good laugh that his personal favorite was the Defenestration of Prague. Uh, Because of everything I learned and then forgot in history, that's the one bit that will be there on my deathbed. Because that was one of my favorite stories, too. And for those who care, you can look it up. It's kind of dry on Wikipedia. But as my professor explained it, I think it was in the midst of the Hundred Years' War, a couple of groups got together to hash some things out and see if they could get things uh, maybe settled. And it kind of devolved into a fight in which, yes, somebody was thrown out a window of this tower. Uh, And as the professor explained it, they landed in a pile of... uh, pile of manure below and it broke their fall uh and then both sides claimed that that proved god was on their side so that was always a good one uh, i got a good laugh out of that uh two um uh it's kind of uh startling the the first page of the color plates to see how much uh, violet kind of looks like her grandmother booth so i don't know if
4: anybody else noticed but that kind of struck me mm. Do you hear that? That's the sound of everyone opening their books. Their uh, books? Yes. Yeah. straight to the first color page. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very, Gee, eyebrows,
2: very... eyes. Yeah.
4: Remember, folks, it's not a good book club until you see the bottom of the rum bottle. <laughs> I do
3: yeah, too late. I do. I do like genetics, and I do. Lo- so, like looking at Harold as a kid in that same photo, you can see he kind of got his dad's jawline, but he got his mom's nose. But there's something bright about Ruth's eyes that uh, Harold didn't get, but got, got passed through to Violet. So I kind that kind of struck me. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, the whoever did um, analyze that, they analyze that poster. Uh, they need to be killed. Because <laughs> um, I realized in putting that one in there, it literally goes like this. So top: Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal and then it goes to the tagline a godfather is about to get it's then cut in half by the L of analyze this, get L in touch with his feelings, that's awful analyze this, you try telling him his 50 minutes are up and Lisa Kudrow, if I was Lisa (laughs) Kudrow holy cow I, I, I don't know how many <laughs> times she's changed agents in her life, but I'm assuming that was the start of moving to a new one right there. Because that was.
2: Yeah. That's, that just to keep me off the poster at that point. Yeah.
3: But. My goodness. Last but not least, the little thing that I am putting money down on this. Here we go. Go, t- go to the color plates page one, page two. Uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The seventh plate. It's the opposite of that really great photo of Harold sleeping with uh, baby Violet on the bed. Yeah. Uh, go to the other page. It's the group shot. And it says, clockwise from left, Bill, uh, Dad, Brian, our babysitter, Lori, Chevy, and me. Very focused on my tater tots. Great photo. That is not Chevy Chase.
2: Oh, you're right. That's Is that Paul Simon? Who is that? Or possibly his... I don't know... That's not he, Chevy not Chase. A, you're right. There's
3: not a lot of record on on Chevy Chase's brothers, but he does have a brother. Maybe he was in the mix. I don't know. But look at Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis is six two. Chevy Chase is six three and a half. That man is not Chevy Chase. Uh, he's very Chevy Chase esque, which is why
4: I'm kind of wondering if it's he's
3: in a relation or. But anyways. once again,
4: I'm sure if you're wrong, some omnipresent force
3: that's great. Will... I, I, Flock tell me tell you i'd love to i would love to find Warm and tell one way you or another but all i know is looking at it i actually ended up running down a rabbit hole of the celebrity harold <laughs> google harold Ramos. hi <laughs> like i even went with uh brian doyle murray 5-8 okay so again like this uh, is
0: like some in-depth sleuthing yeah
4: <laughs> Yeah. And, and he's kind of slouching. So if he stood up that like that I feel we is... need like a black light and like Maybe. an expensive yeah. shot from the book's perspective. Back and to the left. Back <laughs> to the left.
3: But um, yeah,
2: that's the stuff that you I'm, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that again. That's like the Headless Horseman thing from uh, last week's episode. I'm like, all right, I'm who is it, that it, I'm now? <laughs>
3: I'm bringing it up here on the podcast, but I feel kind of. I, it goes back to the the letter uh, Harold wrote to that author on the the bottom, saying one proofread note: you have a typo. <laughs> I kind of feel like that going. I don't want to spoil a fantastic book from that's you know that's fantastic cover to cover, but I'm pretty sure that's not Chevy Chase.
2: Yeah, well, that's interesting. So. Oh my goodness! All right, well, uh, we'll have but to reach out to But at least it's Violet. with a
3: mystery. Now we
4: need to know. Yeah, who, who is, is that? that?
2: i'm chevy chase and you're not saying it's aliens
4: but it's aliens
2: (laughs) (laughs) um all right right there like Uh,
3: here's here's one last thought about looking at that photo the trouble is is if we could see that guy's chin we'd know for sure but we can't because he's covering it chevy chase has a very pronounced cleft chin but
2: ah, mystery that's not him um, all right well now, uh, I want, now I want tater tots I, <laughs> there go. I want tater tots and I'm sure that our Ontario friends want sleep um, yes. so I'll, uh, I'll bring this I to I could clothes. go for tater tots it, tater tots <laughs> Slange, and then sleep tots, up for John a top
0: run, run. <laughs> I'm going to bed
2: <laughs> <laughs> well uh, uh, Solange Briley uh, thank you for joining we'll, we'll we'll find another reason to bring you guys to, to hang out hopefully hey. not at 3 o'clock in the morning um, before I
4: do, I don't let know. You go, this is when we're at our funniest. I'd Okay, maybe we'll do it at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but I mean, bef- otherwise but- we're practically, you know, Amish. Oh wait, I probably actually. I was about to say we shouldn't insult them on the podcast. Like they're listening. They're not
2: listening. You're okay. <laughs> I think do? you're safe. You're safe. Like, <laughs> like a
4: bicycle
3: powering an iPod. <laughs> next next time, Troy and I will will do it at six <laughs> in the morning.
0: little faster, Amish. They're gonna get Try the I, transcript. They get sent the transcript.
3: That's right. In the mail. We got two weeks.
0: <laughs> by carrier but can, pigeon.
3: But they can only read it in the evenings by candlelight. Troy and I will do it at six in the morning next time, and you guys can do it at nine. So
2: yeah, that's it. still, still too early, early for me. For <laughs> the mimosa and yeah, um, but uh, yes. Yeah, so so again, thank you. I mean, you're you the the insight and the conversation. I cannot thank you enough. It's been so much fun. Um and but I, I did want to share before we sign off. Um, after our last book club recording, we got a message from Violet Ramis Steele who had listened to it and I didn't (gasps) want to say anything until the end, um, saying that she listened to the podcast and she was, uh, she was very touched by it. She loved our discussion and she wanted to let you know that, uh, the guests were thoughtful, genuine and funny and lovely throughout. And she's totally humbled by the whole experience. She loved listening to us uh, talk about it. So hopefully, we have not let her down this second time around. Um, And she's just so grateful to everyone who is joining her in remembrance of her dad. So, uh,
1: just uh, wonderful. We loved
2: it. Yeah, she wrote a great book, and I'm so glad that she reached out to us. So I I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning it. I don't know if that's good. (laughs) The sticky notes are well worth it.
0: If she listens to the second half, well, thank you so much for allowing us, the fans, into your
2: life, into with your, your dad. private life. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and and to give us a glimpse of that that slice of your life uh, was was very. I mean, again, and very being very honest and very candid, uh, just just wonderful to hear. So. Um, so, so thank you both, Chris. Thank you, as always. I mean, you, you and I, we we couldn't do this without each other. Let's be honest. But, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we so, have, like
3: the we have on occasion. But it was very uncomfortable but it
2: was not it didn't work yeah <laughs> um, so
4: everybody uh solange, thank you for being solange yeah solange, thanks for
2: being you briley thanks for being you chris thanks for being oh. you as well and uh
4: yes thank, thank you thank you, thank you, you listeners
0: and you get a car
2: <laughs>
4: thank and you but, you but on the car. whole i think i'd i'd rather be rich and famous
2: uh all right well we'll we'll make that happen in the next hey. in the next iteration
4: it's all starting now yay
1: um,
2: all right, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the crossroad. Thanks for listening to our discussion in the book club. If you haven't read the book and you listen to this, what are you doing? Go read it now. We've we've spoiled all the great stuff, but hopefully we've drawn your attention to some of the wonderful things that are in the book. Pick it up. It's on sale now. It's a wonderful book. Grab it in hardcover. You will not be disappointed. Uh, and until next week where we will talk about San Diego Comic Con. There's lots of news. There's news happening right now. I know there are, the Ectomobile is driving down to San Diego and everybody's sending me pictures of it. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that next week. We had more important things uh, this week to talk about. So uh, until then, we'll see you all on the other side.
1: Who you gonna call?
0: We Thanks for joining the Who Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at protoncharging.com, uh, ghostbustershq.net,
1: and stillplayingwithtoys.net. used to be one of my toothpaste.
3: Let me guess. Goals are worshiping. Everything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. No study. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue.
5: Next week, though, hairless pets. Weird.